Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining with us. Uh, we will call to order this meeting of the African-American Reparations Advisory Committee. Again, we appreciate you joining. Uh, I am committee chair, Eric McDonald. Um, all, as always, appreciate the <clears throat> excuse me support that we receive and have continued to receive um, from the uh, Human Rights Commission staff um, led by Director Davis and supported by Manager Jill Stewart, Zachary Manuel, and Jeanette Coates, and Director Brittany Chiquata. Thank you also to John McKnight, Amelia Martinez-Bankhead, and Angelique Mahan, and Secretary Moki Meyer for the fantastic support that we are receiving tonight. Uh, with that, uh, Secretary Moki Meyer, do you have any announcements? Good evening, Chair. Yes, I do. Um, this evening's meeting is being held remotely. Public comment will be available on each item on this agenda. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to speak. People attending, um, if you are calling in, please mute your phone and ask the speaker to raise your icon feature to indicate you would like to participate in public comment. Sorry, I got static on my end. Secretary Meyer, what was the last thing that you said? That um, people should use the raised hand icon to indicate they would like to participate in public comment. Excellent. Okay, let's move to the first item. Roll call, please. Item number one is roll call. I will announce um, committee members' names. They will announce that they're present. James Lance Taylor. Denise Hollins. Present. Eric McDonald. Present. Reverend Dr. Amos Brown. Present. Rico Hamilton. Paul Cunningham. Present. Gloria Berry. Daniel Landry. Present. Tiffany Carter. Thanks, Gloria, Member Barry. Thank you, Tiffany Carter. Present. Gwendolyn Brown. Present. Anita Ekinem. Present. Star Williams. Present. Shaquille Kane. Leticia Irving. Present. And I believe I saw uh, Member Taylor. Is Member Taylor? Oh, I see you waving. Thank you. Oh, the meeting can come to order. We do have quorum. Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, if we can now move to the land and ancestral acknowledgments. Uh, first, uh, thank you to Member Irving for reading the ancestral acknowledgment. And following, thank you to Member Cunningham for reading the land acknowledgment. Ancestral acknowledgement. 
We honor the gifts, resilience, and sacrifices of our Black ancestors, particularly those who toiled the land and built the institutions that established this city's wealth and freedom, despite never being compensated nor fully realizing their own sovereignty. We acknowledge this exploitation of not only labor, but our humanity. And through this process, we are working to repair some of the harms done by public and private actors. Because of their work, we are here and will invest in the descendants of their legacy. Thank you, Member Cunningham. Thank you. Ramatush Ohlone, uh, Land Acknowledgement. We acknowledge that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of San Francisco Peninsula. As an indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatush Ohlone, excuse me, have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from the living and working, <clears throat> benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging our ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatouche community and by affirming their sovereign rights as first peoples. Thank you so much. Uh, we can move now to item three, please. Item three is general public comment. Members of the public may part address the committee on matters that are within the committee's jurisdiction and are not on today's agenda. Uh, you can use the raise hand icon. Each um, public commenter will be provided <coughs> three minutes. And I do see a hand raised. Cynthia Marie, welcome. Can you unmute yourself? Thank you, I didn't realize I was muted, thank you. Uh, this, these matters may have already been discussed and I apologize if they have been, but they popped into my head recently. The first is that reparations should be for individuals whose family members have lived in San Francisco and are descendants of enslaved uh, Americans. That's number one. Number two, ideally an office would be set up to establish people to help confirm their heritage through the city and county of San Francisco or a nonprofit. Number three, thank you for putting the agenda in the chat box because I was unable to find it. Number four, I'd like to express appreciation for all of the work you all are doing. That's it, thank you. Thank you. Now I would like to welcome Lorna Hawkins. Can you unmute yourself? Yes, I finally did see the unmute. This is the, my first time actually using Zoom and I appreciate you all giving us the opportunity. My uh, concerns are about technology. Uploading documents and paperwork such as documents and photos, I believe the technology people that you're going to hire should have the knowledge on JPEG, PDF, and giving people choices on what they can upload. 
if you're going to be doing ID checks, like a lot of companies do do, then we, you should look at experienced companies that have been business for many, many years that know technology and can troubleshoot any new technology. Uh, customer service workers that you're going to be using to, uh, I don't know, talk, speak, or uh, hand out applications, I believe should be knowledgeable of the needs of the people that they're going to be talking to. I believe there should be a self-help line established for people that are going to be going down memory lane and history lane, sometimes for the first time in their lives. And there's going to be certain triggers that's going to be going on in their minds. And maybe they might not be able to participate or help. Uh, but I think it would be important if we look at those issues. And thank you for your time. Thank you. Now I'd like to welcome Josiah Williams. Can you please? Hello. Uh, I'm sorry, just trying to confirm. Can you hear me? Yes, thank you. Okay. Hello. Um, thank you. Um, I appreciate being here and also for the work that you are doing. Uh, I look forward to seeing, you know, as many of you as possible at the California Reparations Task Force meeting. I know Dr. Brown will be there. Um, I, I just wanted to comment you know, briefly regarding like some of the residency requirements. My father actually grew up in San Francisco. I have an older cousin that actually lives there now. Um, so, you know, so their parents lived there before them. Um, I just wanted to mention it may be kind of difficult. I know that some of the records weren't accurate when it came to We have a lot of different criteria already in place. And so I just wanted to put out that, that in a lot of cases, um, records weren't accurate and actually the names of some of the residents weren't there. Um, I know this um, you know, would also be difficult if the same situation happened in Oakland because my, my family actually lived where there is a post office now. You know, and so there may not be as many records. So it could kind of prevent some people who actually are due justice. So I just wanted to point that out. I say I appreciate um, your work on this matter. Thank you. Thank you. Um, could I please welcome Phyllis Schulman? Can you unmute? Yes, yes. Thank you for reminding me of that. Um, I am a psychotherapist in San Francisco. Um, I also helped organize the workshop, the forum on reparations that Eric McDonald and Reverend Brown appeared at in San Francisco at Sheriff Israel a few months back. Um, in a conversation with my colleague, Dr. Clifton Hicks, who is works with children and families at Southeast Child, Southeast Family Child Center, Mental Health Center in the city. It's a public mental health clinic. One of the things that he expressed concerned about is that there is no mental health, community mental health center that's dedicated to work with African-American patients. Um, there's a clinic in the mission that's primarily devoted to Hispanics. There's a clinic in North Beach in, you know, that in Chinatown that's mostly 
concerned about Chinese Americans, but there is no such clinic in the city that is specifically geared to the issues of African-American children and families. So I would like that to be incorporated. He and I would like to see that incorporated in the plan for mental health, that there be a designated clinic that's geared to African-American families. And he has the idea that his clinic, Southeast Child Family Center, would have a way of would have a way of accommodating that result, but there needs to be some proposal to make that possible. So I just wanted to respectfully add that. Thank you. Thank you. Now I'd like to welcome Alyssa Jones Garner. Thank you, um, and thank you to all the members of the committee. My name is Alyssa Jones Garner. Um, and I also actually work for the city and county of San Francisco as well. Um, first, one of the comments that was made about um, access, um, technological access for people, for our people that are going to be applying for reparations, um, that is a, a very um, serious concern um, because there there is not a lot of access, especially in communities like in the Bayview, um, where even today, there's difficulty even maintaining internet connections. Um, one way that that could be addressed is by pushing for a pilot program of free Wi-Fi in Black communities, because we are usually the ones that are either paying higher rates or we're being, <coughs> excuse me, or we're being trapped into very specific overpriced internet service plans that don't fully provide us the coverage that we need. This has repercussions in the types of work that we're allowed to do. Um, this has repercussions in the access to information. And it is quite limiting for our children, some of which who are homeschooled and rely on internet access and stable internet access in order to interact with their, their classmates and complete their work. Um, also, um, there was um, a clinic that was specifically for Black people in the Bayview. It was actually created by Arthur Coleman, who was one of the first African-American doctors and one of the first doctors, period, to have a private practice in San Francisco and specifically in the Bayview. Um, after his clinic was created, um, I want to say in about 1971, the Baby Foundation, the Baby Hunters Point Foundation, also provided similar services to African Americans in the Bayview. So we had resources, they were stripped away. Um, and I do want to emphatically agree that those services are brought back because we need to have services by us for us moving forward. Um, and that is no slight to any of my, my co-workers in the healthcare field, but we need representation in all aspects of our identity, of our life and our life, our lived experience. And that includes who cares for us and our most vulnerable times. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other members of the public? I do see, oh, I saw Dr. Raymond Tompkins hand raised. 
And then I saw the hand go down. Dr. Tompkins, can you unmute yourself? Thank you. Am I unmuted? Yes, thank you. Thank you. I want to first honor Dr. Amos Brown for taking the time to meet with me to discuss some of the research that I conducted in Baby Hunters Point on air pollution and increased susceptibility amongst African Americans towards this pollution that is impacting the health quality. And I'm also a member of the Southeast Clinics Advisory Board since 1994. And we are going before the mayor to ask for Black doctors, physicians, to practice medicine at the Southeast Clinic. That is a serious issue that we have, that we do not have young men and women, African-American men and women, practicing in the predominant where our patient base is over 50% at the clinic. It is met, it's been established through research that a person uh, of their own ethnicity have a more humanistic contact. They open up, they have discussions with the doctor and you get a complete picture of the disease of what the suffering of the patient is and you don't have cultural barriers interfering with it. I also would like to discuss one other issue, a scientific, I used to run a hospital lab for two and a half years, then I got out of it and now I do environmental science and medicine. But there is a disease that I am, there was some discussion on the state and others, people not understanding a direct lineage from slavery and today. Let me make very, very clear to you, in my own family history, when writing the history, my uncle conveyed to me, he's passed on, of the Frenchmen visiting the slave quarters and that the Frenchmen left a gift to us a genetic mutation of blood that my father died from is called factor five, where the blood coagulates. And this is only found in Europeans and not in Africans. My brother and myself suffer from this genetic mutation. And I went in for surgery and I came very close to death behind it because of blood clots accumulating. African-Americans, have this disease and this is a direct lineage to for those of us that were in Louisiana you understand my parents came from there in terms of breeding of slaves by whites when they couldn't import it it was cheaper to breed them this is a direct lineage and if anyone studies the history of the bay area the federal manpower is commissioned recruited from texas and louisiana and that's how you have these ascendants and you will see the prevalence of this disease throughout and it's not treated. And unfortunately, just like my father, African-Americans die unneedlessly because of the lack of understanding of susceptibility. Cheryl Thornton, can you unmute? Oh, okay. Can you hear me? Hello? Yes, yes. I can. Oh, okay. Hi. So um, what I wanted to say is um, 
my family moved here in 1973 um, due to uh, well, my dad had an opportunity to uh, attend UCSF dental school. And I guess at the time there were no black practitioners pretty much in San Francisco. So UCSF, I guess, um, trying to, I guess, work on equity or something, they um, invited maybe 25 um, black African-American people to go to dental school. So he worked in the Southeast section of San Francisco um, until his death until in 2010. But um, I work in the health department and um, they've had, they haven't had a program like that since. So even in oral health, we don't have any dentists that pretty much look like us. But also um, what I noticed working in the health department the black residents that they bring from Howard University that are doing their um, residency uh, at the at DPH, none of those those residents are ever placed at Southeast Health Center or Patrol Hill. Patrol Hill has been, you know, um, it's really been gentrified quite a bit because of the um, rebuild of the housing that's going on up there. But I think that um, that is a way that maybe they can get some um, black doctors. And I think that um, somebody we could talk to, somebody could talk to maybe UCSF looking at that program that they did in uh, 1973. They um, put a um, call out nationwide to bring people here that were qualified to go to dental school and they were, and they were invited to go to that dental, to dental school. So that's what I wanted to add. So thank you. Thank you. Um, LaDonna, LaDonna Williams. Yes, good evening, LaDonna Williams. Um, since the, the agenda was posted late or we couldn't find it um, ahead of time, it's hard to know where to, I, I went through the list trying to figure out where my comment would be appropriate. But um, I wanted to get some clarity on the recommended amount. As I remember from the previous meeting, there was an amount um, in the draft that listed $5 million. However, once the governor released or the news released the recommendations that was, I guess, supposed to be going to the governor, it's been reduced to 223,000, unless I'm just not understanding the process. So. I'm hoping we'll get some clarity on those amounts tonight. Um, and if in fact it has been reduced from 5 million to 223,000, how it is and who it is that came up with those amounts. Um, and so I'm assuming looking at the agenda just briefly um, that you guys will give us some clarity on what the actual recommended amounts will be. Um, and the other thing being is the, um, the inf um, looking online when it says that we can reach out to you all as a committee and I guess reaching out to you means we should be able to get some responses. You know, we've written the committees trying to get clarity on particular items and you know, trying to engage, because at this level here, when we're on these meetings with you guys, you'll say, hey, show up at the city council or you know, contact us uh, to be engaged, yet you don't get a response back. And also um, previous meetings that were listed, at least on 
my calendar that I got off of your website, half the time we go to the uh, meeting at the scheduled time and there was no meeting or no cancellation that came through. So I would just request as we move forward um, that there be more effort made to communicate to the public so that we can engage so that we can engage with you all, you know, in an informed way, getting agendas at the very last minute and trying to skim through them to know, you know, where we can give comments or input on the spot like that really does not make for a real effective communication or engagement. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other members of the public who would like to participate on general public comment on items not on the agenda? Okay, Chair, I do not see any members of the public indicating they would like to participate in public comment at this time. Thank you, seeing none, public comment is now closed and thank you to all members of the community who took the time to <clears throat> share your comments and perspectives with us. We do appreciate it. Um, all right, so we will proceed now. Next item, please. Item number four is the chair report. This is a discussion item with the presentation from Eric McDonald, Chair, African-American Reparations Advisory Committee, and Tanish Hollins, Vice Chair, African-American Reparations Advisory Committee. There will be public comment and committee comment and committee discussion on this item. Thank you so much. Uh, again, we appreciate uh, all of community that is able to join us. We appreciate you being with us. A couple of things, um, both for the committee, but perhaps even more broadly for community. Um, and then I will call on Vice Chair Hollins. Um, one, just want to underscore what uh, one of the members of community, uh, Mr. Williams, commented on, which is that there is an upcoming uh, AB 3121 California Reparation Task Force meeting coming up. Um, it is on the 14th and 15th of December, so this week, um, on Wednesday and Thursday. It begins at 9 a.m. each day. It will be held um, at the Oakland uh, City Hall. Uh, and so want to encourage all those that can and are interested, certainly of committee and also community, um, to participate in that meeting. Again, it starts at 9 a.m. What I would encourage, I was trying to find them, now I'm not seeing, the opportunity to post the link in the chat. So if someone, because I only have hosts and panelists, I don't see everyone in the, uh, so if someone could post that, that would be fantastic so that um, everyone can see the agenda. They start at nine and they don't list an end time because they don't have an end time. They go until they work through their agenda, which includes opportunities both for hearing certainly, but also um, for discussion amongst um, the committee members. So. Again, invite you to participate. And also, as you heard, um, Dr. Amos Brown um, is on that committee, so he will be present there as well. <clears throat> Second thing I just wanted to, um, particularly because we are at this moment now of reviewing and subsequently submitting our interim report, when we began our work together, kind of this journey, um, we talked about what would become important, and we're now, I would observe, at the moment that there would be a need for a <clears throat> advocacy campaign that in order to bring the um, pressure, quite frankly, advocacy pressure to the members of the Board of Supervisors um, to support um, 
adoption, acceptance, and action on the recommendations that we make, that that would be necessary. So just one, wanted to remind us of that and, <clears throat> and also the importance, therefore, of doing so with some intention. And so in just a moment, again, I'm going to call on Vice Chair Hollins, offering my perspective, appreciating that not only everyone holds the same, I believe that this advocacy campaign certainly should be led by us, um, us as in Black leadership, and it should include, and I actually believe it will need to include, um, other allies. Um, and so just to name a few that have already at least named their intentions, and we certainly will will hold them accountable should we decide to go down that path, um, but the Black and Jewish Unity Coalition, the Horizons Unlimited, the Japanese Community Youth Council, um, the Interfaith Council, the Bayview Alliance. And these are just organizations that, again, have reached out to say they're interested. It's not to say that there aren't many, many others um, as potentially there are and will be as we go forward. So just want to invite us to hold that. Um, we will be scheduling um, <clears throat> meetings or resuming, I should say, meetings with the committee um, leads so that we can, again, bring some intentionality and coordination um, and strategic intention around said campaign. So more to come on that, but wanted to lift that up. And with that, I will turn it over to Vice Chair Hollins. Thank you, Chair McDonald. Good evening to all the members of the advisory committee and the members of the public who have tuned in. I'm going to keep this brief because I know we have a pretty robust agenda, but um, I wanted to report out to you all that December 1st through 3rd, which was just last week, um, I had the privilege of attending the uh, national, the second national reparation symposium held in Evanston, Illinois. This is in partnership with uh, NARAC, which is the National African American Reparations Commission and First Repair, which is the organization that uh, has been leading reparations work in Evanston, Illinois, one of the first in the country as a model um, for how uh, harm has been repaired in a in one of our local cities in this country. Um, I'll give a brief report. I want to thank Director Davis uh, and Brittany Chapata, who also joined me at the symposium and have been um, doing a lot of work to make sure that we maintain the connection and provide updates on what we're doing here in San Francisco. But just to give you all a little bit of a flavor of the intentionality behind the symposium, the goal of the symposium was to pull together um, other cities across the country um, that are leading reparations efforts to learn um, how the work has been led by First Repair in Evanston, Illinois, also to do a deeper dive into the history um, around reparations and how it can be scaffolded is an opportunity to learn from each other. Um, there were working sessions over two days where you had representation from Tulsa to Boston to Detroit. Um, all across the country where folks were talking about different efforts and where they were in those efforts locally um, to advance reparations. And then of course, nationally, um, an update on where things are with HR 40. Uh, there was also uh, a documentary um, called The Big Payback that should be featured on Netflix and other uh, platforms soon if you haven't seen it. Uh, but there was a screening of the big payback while we were out there uh, at Evanston Township High School. It was attended by Erica Alexander, who was a famous uh, Black actress, many of you know, 
from Living Single, who's also been a stakeholder in this movement for a while. The highlight of this uh, convening was on December 2nd in the evening, U.S. Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee, who is the lead sponsor of H.R. 40, uh, came to Evanston to meet with us and to demand that President Biden uh, move forward through executive order um, the process of establishing a commission, a national reparations commission to continue the work of exploring where national reparations could look like in H.R. 40. There were a few big takeaways that I want to share with the group, and some of it is uh, complementary to what Chair McDonald shared with you all. One is, I'm not sure that many of you all knew, I wasn't aware until I went out there, um, that in California we have several initiatives underway in different cities exploring what reparations could look like. San Francisco, of course, is one of them. Also Palm Springs. Uh, and I believe there's Palm Springs, there's San Francisco. Sacramento is also working on an initiative. Um, and then of course the work that's being done at state level by Dr. Brown and the rest of the folks on the commission. We are working uh, to check in and be more aligned and learn from each other exactly what's happening in those cities and also how that complements what's happening at state level. Uh, we have a call to check in later this week and then we'll be talking about more formal ways for us to continue engaging with those other cities as we move forward. The fourth city, thank you, um, Dr. Taylor, is Berkeley. Berkeley is also looking into this. Um, so getting more alignment with them. The other thing that I thought was really important to note is that nationally there was a lot of uh, support and interest in the work that we're doing here in San Francisco. While we know the Dreamkeeper Initiative is not a replacement for reparations um, and that there's restrictions on what we can do with the Dreamkeeper Initiative in terms of earmarking dollars specifically for the Black community and it is not redress or repair for harm, but it is a way to show what it looks like when we do direct investments into Black programs, organizations, entrepreneurship, giving direct cash to Black people um, through universal basic income and all the other different ways that we've been able to scale up the Black community through Dream Keepers. Uh, it received a lot of great praise, but the reality, and we all know, is that we're very limited until we deal with the legality, the legal issues that restrict us from being able to earmark dollars specifically as Black dollars for African-American community um, and tiptoeing around um, the legal restrictions that we have because things like Prop 209 did not pass. And so kind of moving toward um, what Chair McDonald said, our advocacy, we all know the advocacy was necessary, but we're at a moment now, and, and we've heard it from the members of the public, whether the members of the public are aware or not because they're not in all of our conversations, it's a frustration that we share too. All of this work is important and critical and necessary, but one, if we're leading the way in the state and we're leading the way as a state, and we cannot back down from a direct conversation about what it means to say Black, Black American specific, Black San Francisco specific, and make sure that those dollars are earmarked to do that. And that we find every legal precedent to make sure that that happens so that we are not having to deal with the whataboutism or splitting our resources amongst other communities because there is a restriction or a sanction around being able to do that. There is a lot more conversation that needs to happen around this, but what we also learned is that um, building that relationship and allyship with the folks who say and the organizations who say um, that they are in support of reparations or want to continue to build that conversation in their communities is also critical. So a lot of the organizations that Chair McDonald named are important. If there are others, member of this committee, members of this committee and members of the public uh, want to raise as folks to join in on this effort, there will be plenty of time for that conversation, but the time is now.
The time is now for us to address that concern, especially going into 2023, um, if we want to see any legs, not only to the recommendations that are coming out of the, the reparations um, advisory committee's report through San Francisco, but for the immediate needs that Black San Francisco has right now. Advocacy and organizing is critical. So I wanna thank you all for taking a moment to uh, hear that report out. I also wanna thank Director Davis, uh, Brittany, and uh, all the staff of the HRC for the support that they provide to the committee. And with that, I will hand it back over to Chair McDonald. Thank you so much, Vice Chair Hollins. And so, as I said, more to come in terms of the organizing efforts that we believe will be required, frankly, necessary, certainly, um, to move this work forward. Uh, and so let's go to public comment and then we will return to um, any committee discussion around this. Uh, members of the public who would like to comment on anything that was discussed during the chair's report, please use your raise hand icon to indicate you would like to comment. Um, public comment will be three minutes. I see Dr. Tompkins. Welcome back, Dr. Tompkins. I apologize, I didn't realize my hand was uh, up, but I do support the effort in moving forward for reparations 100%. And I make one quick modification on my request for physicians at the Southeast Clinic that they understand environmental medicine. Just because you're black and you don't understand the conditions of what kill, are killing people with the high asthma, pulmonary, cardiovascular and breast cancer, which is affected for my members of my family. It's imperative that they understand this. Just because you're black, you must have an understanding of the disease and the cause of these high adverse health effects. Thank you so very much. Thank you, Dr. Tompkins. Now I'd like to welcome Alyssa Jones-Garner. Thank you. Um, I have three questions. I will try to make them as brief as possible. Um, has any additional legal research been conducted or included in the um, the report? And I, I apologize if it has. I'm just seeing the report um, this evening um, because there is case law and, and legal precedents for establishing reparations going back to the 1700s in this country. Um, so, and also um, I wanted to um, approach one of the questions that I believe was brought up by, by community member Phyllis that um, regarding the amount of the payment, um, because there is established, um, there are um, previous reparations laws um, and acts that have established um, payment amounts for specific groups that may have um, contributed to the, the amount or the lowering of the amount that was previously stated. One thing that I hope can be incorporated is the following language. Reparations shall be paid on a continuous basis so long as the qualifying harm exists and continues to negatively impact the applicant. I think that will address some concerns that may come up later in regards of receiving a one-time lump sum for systematic issues that are still impacting our, commun our community and that have not adequately been addressed or redressed um, previously. Um, and it would provide a financial incentive 
for the city and county to be more progressive in addressing systematic racism and abuse throughout every single department and institution in, in San Francisco. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Jeffrey Greer, welcome to this evening's meeting. Okay, can you hear me? Yes, thank you. Uh, pretty much, uh, I'd like to go what she said um, and endorse that, but also throw another caveat on that. This, this has been decades, generations, centuries long. So whatever, we should be getting a lump sum and a continuous payment to make it right. Um, that's what I was trying to get to. Uh, that's something that should be looked at and examined. And we need just by the amount of public comment we've had in short time we've been on this meeting. Mental health is a primary concern. Physical health is a primary. All of these items are holes in our ability to exist. Whereas if things are left as it is, quite clear that we are headed for sure uh, extinction. Um, regarding the amount of payment and what the size is, you can be sure that there's movement behind the scenes on this redefinition of what is black. Uh, believe me, they didn't, they didn't have a problem for, for centuries defining who was black. All of a sudden, we've, we've got a problem. The same issue occurred when they uh, gave the Indians their money, or Native Americans, excuse me, uh, gave them their money and especially down in, in Florida and the Seminoles, you know, they, they all of a sudden were gonna receive land and, and uh, uh, the uh, other people decided that they should redefine who was a Native American. And Native Americans have their own process. So be very careful when we start getting around that, that, that area of who's, who's black, who's the definition. Who's defining? Thank you. Thank um, you. And I, I just, Meyer, wanna, just go ahead. Go ahead, please. I just want to remind public commenters that you are commenting on the report from the chair and vice chair and the content of that report. Now, I would like to welcome LaDonna Williams. Welcome. Thank you again. Um, one of the um, folks on the committee, I can't remember her name, uh, once again mentioned the legalities, I guess, the legal issues around Prop 209, which we hear quite often. And I just wonder within this report, have you adequately looked into the fact that San Francisco put together 118 million plus dollars and counting. Specific language is San Francisco Asian and Pacific Islanders who this money is targeted and earmarked for. There has been no mention in that about Prop 209, about the legalities and preventing um, this population or group from getting redress or as they're calling it reparations, which I don't think it is. I think they are one of those fabricated minorities who have been able to ride off the backs of black America's issues. Yet 
they have no problem sliding through getting this support and getting this money that wasn't for everything else to be included in there. It was money. They didn't mention education. They didn't mention all this other stuff. They recognized the need to give them some money for this um, elevated harm that we've been seeing that is televised more. But when you peel back the layers and you look at the FBI reports and what have you, you see that they have the lowest incidences of harm being done to them compared to what has happened to Black folks over the last 400 years. So, you know, it's just really disappointing to see all of this talk back and forth, up and down with the amounts that we cannot stop and say, wait a minute, common sense, 400 plus years and counting because our harm has not stopped. But even within that time frame that you all are putting in the report, we still have this problem stating the amount of money that we know it really is no amount that can make up for it. But at least starting with a realistic amount of $5 million per person is not far-fetched when you compare it to the $450,000 that they were proposing for the Latinos for two years of harm and the amount of money that they are given to the Asians. Come on committee. And I feel you, advocacy, we're there. We're, we're gonna do our- Thank you. Um, now I'd like to welcome Cynthia Marie. And I just wanna remind everyone that there is an item number coming up that is discussion about the report. So if you can make your comments or veer your comments towards what the chair and vice chair reported out, that would be much appreciated. Welcome, Cynthia. Thank you. I'm, I'm trying to stay on point. I'm having difficulty following the uh, agenda to make sure that my comments are in the appropriate uh, place. But I heard us talking about cash payouts and what that might look like. And I'm suggesting that not only that there be a cash payout, but there also should be a pocket of assistance available for education, college tuition, down payments on homes, definitely mental health services and free childcare and possibly financial management uh, assistance. I conclude, thank you very much. Thank you. Are there any other members of the public would like to comment on the report from the chair and vice chair? I see Virginia Marshall, welcome. Well, thank you so much, Ms. Uh, Madam Chair and the committee. I agree with everything that the previous speakers have said before me. If we could have all these things for the community out of this uh, project, it would be just wonderful, especially helping our young people and anyone in our community who wants to the home, uh, help them with a, a credit repair, uh, help our students get out, get out of that burden of college debt. Although, and of course, a mental health and a wellness, all those things that everyone has said, I completely agree. And to have help our young people with a college education, 
And everyone, I don't believe, needs to uh, want to have a college education, but they must be prepared to go to work. So uh, investing with our community, with the uh, trades, uh, the unions, when a child finishes high school, he or she should have a skill that they can earn their living with, and college just reinforces what they, what they have already learned and what they, what they might want to learn. So I thank the committee. I look forward to having all these things implemented, hopefully in my lifetime. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ms. Marshall. Now I would like to um, announce, you know, is there any members of the public who would like to participate in public comment on the chair and the vice chair's report? Okay, Chair um, McDonald and Vice Chair Hollins, I do not see any members of the public who would like to comment on, on this item. Thank you so much. Seeing none, public comment is now closed. <clears throat> Excuse me. As we transition to our next item, a um, couple of things. One, just want to um, make the clear distinction between um, the work of this committee and the California State Task Force um, and the discussions around amounts being made available or invested in and towards uh, families. The numbers that were referenced during public comment are not numbers coming from this committee. So um, just want to make that, that distinction. In item six, when we come to it, which is the draft uh, uh, of our reparations plan that is to be submitted to the uh, to the Board of Supervisors and to the Human Rights Commission, you will see what we are representing in the way of all of the recommendations. And so um, that link was put in the chat. If you don't have it, um, please take a look at it and then you can at least hold what we're initially um, representing in this draft. There will be continued work post to draft because we have a final report that will be submitted to um, the Board of Super, sorry, Board of Supervisors and Human Rights Commission and the Mayor's Office um, in June of next year. So we have a window of opportunity and time um, to continue to um, tighten, refine, enhance, expand, et cetera. And that, that's our window. Um, member Barry, your hand is raised because. Uh, it was supposed to be member discussion after the chair report and public yes. comment. Okay, so hold on one hold on one second. One other thing, thank you, and I'll come right back to you. Um, <clears throat> and so we have that opportunity. The other thing I just wanted to again establish is the as as the recommendations recommendations are being tightened and refined and reviewed and then subsequently submitted. That we have not discussed not asking for something because of Prop 209. What we've said is we want to recognize the potential impediment that Prop 209 may represent. But we've not said because of 209, we won't ask for certain things. So I just want to make, again, clear that distinction that when we make references to 209, uh, we're not doing so to suggest, therefore, we're not going to make some request or demand to the city. With that, um, thank you, Member Barry, for your patience, um, please. And then uh, Reverend Brown. Thank you, Chair. I just wanted to, um, one, thank the public for their comments and two, add to your list of allies that support reparations that you yourself and Vice Chair Hollins did a great presentation at the San Francisco Bernie Kratz and they held a vote and they voted to yes to support us and our report. That is all. Thanks so much. Appreciate that. Thank you for that reminder. Reverend Brown, please. You're muted, sir. 
You're still muted, unfortunately. All right. Success. Now, good evening, everybody. Y'all looking good there. <laughs> Mr. Chair, members of our task force advisory committee, two things I want to mention. Number one, to um, commend uh, the staff for doing diligence to pull together uh, this substantive preliminary report. Reverend Brown, for, for, forgive me, sir. Can I just ask a question? Are you going to speak to kind of the report and any thoughts you have about that? Or are you going to speak Is to- Is it about the report? Right. So we're not on that item just yet. Item six is going to be on the report. Well, I thought you earlier you had called for comments. On the item we're on, which is item number four, which was the chair's report. So the report I made and the report that uh, Vice Chair Hollins made around the work, the, the her trip to uh, Evanston for the summit. Item six is going to be on the on the report, and that'll be the great space for you to share your thoughts about the report. Okay, very well. We'll, we'll wait until then. Thank you, sir. Member Brown. Yes. Um, in regards to the report, one of the things that I think everyone is familiar with in California is Allensworth. That is now a state historic park. Um, I think um, it might be worth the body to um, look at the fact that the state park was named, was made a state park as a result of what? That was a black town that was um, cut off um, by that county. The water was cut off. That was a farming town. So that was intentional. So as my, um, I'm pretty sure they made it a state park to acknowledge that harm. I do not know if there was reparations attached to that acknowledgement by making it a state park. So um, in the conversation about the state case, possibly since, since they're already admitting or acknowledging that there was some, that there was some impediment made by those policies of that city and county um, that, that led to the deterioration of that, that city that was a thriving farming city. Um, that might be something, a strategy that we may need to look at or address um, when we're thinking about how to create the conversation about what we're doing throughout California and in regards to San Francisco. Since it seems like uh, an easy win since they already saying they messed up. Thank you, Member Brown. Members of the committee, any other comments about the chairs and vice chairs report? We're gonna get to the report report momentarily. I know we are all eager to get there. I just, uh, Chair McDonald, just thank you. Uh, thank you all for the report, excellent report. Thank you, sir, take that. All righty. Seeing or hearing none, um, we will close this. I, oh, Wait, I have sorry. A my, my apologies. My apologies. Just saw your hand, please. Um, so about the social advocacy, like about reparations in San Francisco, yes. I feel like we should do Hello. more about like. Hold on one second. Reverend Brown, can you mute yourself? Thank you. Stretching okay. to the younger audience, like people my age all the way up to like, well, 25 and younger, because like a lot of people do not know about reparations in San Francisco. Like I was just talking about about reparations the last meeting with my roommate 
that she lives she lives in San Francisco but she had never heard of it so like I feel like we should do like more like Instagram ads because like based on the area you're in you can see ads about whatever is happening but also TikTok because like based on the algorithm like based on like where people are at that you can reach the audience there if you're like interested into that that you can see videos about that Thank you so much for lifting that up, Member Williams. We appreciate um, always your voice and perspective around engaging young people. And therefore, we're going to circle back to you when it's time for the campaign itself and um, both pick your brain and seek to leverage your leadership. So more to come on that. Anyone else before we move? Seeing none, we will close this item. Let's please now go to item number five. And um, Secretary Meyer, after you introduce it, please come back to me before we call on speakers. Yes, uh, 2023 is a forward calendar review. This is a discussion item. The African-American Reparations Advisory Committee will review meeting dates between January 1st, 2023 through June 30th, 2023 and important 2023-2024 budget processes, information and dates. There will be a presentation from Brittany Chiquata, Director of the Economic Rights Division, San Francisco Human Rights Commission, Radhika Milotra, Senior Fiscal Policy Analyst, Mayor's Budget Office, City and County of San Francisco. There will be public comment and committee comment on this item. And of course, now we will go back to Chair McDonald. Thank you, awesome. Chair McDonald. Thank you so much. Um, just want to offer some context for this and the following item. And so I'm going to uh, hand the floor over to Director Dr. Davis. Thank you, Chair McDonald. And um, thank you to the committee for their service and the work and to the folks um, joining us on the Zoom. Just wanted to, as you prepare to have the conversation around the calendar, I know the calendar, you're specifically looking at dates and events for January and connecting those with um, the budget, but just also wanted to acknowledge and um, recognize that we were late getting the draft reparations plan out to folks today and want to be really mindful. So as you are planning and having this conversation, there are two things that I wanted to offer up through the chair. First and foremost is um, the ability to um, extend time for the committee as well as the public. We've heard from folks here as well to give feedback on this draft plan. Um, we were initially planning to submit on Friday, but given that many of you did not receive it until today, um, there was a, a glitch with getting it out. We thought it had gone out last week and unfortunately it did not. Um, so the first request or suggestion is that the committee have until next Monday, um, as well as community to give feedback on that, which then would give us till um, next Friday, the second suggestion or request to turn in said draft. What can happen through that process is committee members can, to avoid violation of quorum, committee members can email the HRC staff. Um, we can then review that with the chair and vice chair um, and then prepare that to submit to you all um, to be able to go out so that we can get it out without having to call um, another meeting, but that we can take your feedback and then have a conversation with the chair and vice chair. Um, in isolation and separate so that it's not a quasi meeting. Um, so that's just my main thing is just wanted to acknowledge and recognize that we weren't able to get the draft plan out to people uh, ahead of time and that we wanted to provide space so that you did not feel if you so desire 
feel free um, tonight if you want to, but just to offer that up to folks who may feel like they need a little bit more time to digest and review. So that was my main thing. So as you're talking about the calendar, as you're making plans, is to offer up until Monday for feedback and next Friday, the 23rd, to actually submit to the, the board and the um, relevant parties. Thank you, Director, Dr. Davis. Um, appreciate that context and um, acknowledgement of, again, just where we are in the overall process. Um, Member Irving, I see your hand. We, we are scheduled to have a presentation first. Can your comments wait until we have the presentation? Sure, it was about Dr. Davis's um, suggestion about email. Do you want me to still wait? Go ahead. Please. I'm just curious if there's any alternatives or a different way um, to communicate from the members of the public other than email. I think about people who have accessibility issues and just curious if there's like a call line or something else. Yeah, I mean, I definitely can offer up. This is what I, I would say to folks. So, um, you know, I know that next couple of weeks may be challenging and difficult for folks, but first and foremost, I want to make sure that people have the right email address, but I'm troubled to hear that folks have been emailing and not getting a response. So I want to make sure that we are on top of that and that that does not continue to happen. Second, I would say, um, and this is something that um, I can work out with um, Angelique Mahan, but in general, folks can call 252-415, error code 415-252-2500. And, um, and just when you call, say, um, we are, I'm calling to leave comments about the reparations plan. And um, the way that the city system works is that we actually get that as a voicemail um, through our email. So if you call and leave that message, we actually can copy and, and take it from that as well. So folks can call that number. And if somebody answers, just say, hey, I wanna leave a message and you can either leave it with the person or they can let you call back and go directly to the, the voicemail to do that. But um, we wanna make sure to share the uh, reparations email address um, and then the phone number, folks can use that. And then if folks are so inclined, um, I don't know that we'd be able to do it for next week, but I think that we are open to, we've got interns and other folks that can help if somebody just wants um, somebody to sit and listen and take notes, we can, we can try and work that out as well. But I would say the best bet is email and phone number. Thank you again, Director Davis. So with that, we're gonna to go to the presentation. Um, so I will turn it over to Director Tequata. Thank you. I'd actually um, like to invite Radhika Malotra to in, um, present first, and then I can go over the overarching um, timeline for 2023. Radhika? Awesome. Hi, everybody. Um, thanks very much for having me. Um, I am Radhika Melodra. I'm a senior member of the Mayor's Budget Office. And um, I wanted to talk a bit about process of the budget process today. Um, and I sent over a presentation. I'm hoping we can bring that up. Awesome. Um, so, I put together this presentation so it can serve as a resource that folks can kind of come back to. So I won't review all of the slides, um, but there's in the beginning some helpful sort of context set setting slides. And then towards the end, um, there's some good information about um, what was actually included in the budget last year and also some high level 
um, information about sort of how the budget outlook is looking for the next couple of years. So um, if for now we could please jump to slide eight. Um, the title of that slide is Factors That Shape the City Budget. Awesome. Um, so I wanted to go ahead and first start by laying out the three very major factors that actually shape the city budget. And, you know, a lot of this is pretty obvious to all of us, but I really wanted to actually name this. And so the first and primary driver is how much money is actually available for us to spend. Um, and some really big inputs that are part of this question include, you know, how is the economy doing? Are we, um, are all of the revenues that we're kind of counting on to um, create the kind of programs and to upkeep the kind of programs that we want to, is that, is that amount of revenue actually going to come in within the city? What are the cost pressures? Um, thinking about ongoing, ever-growing cost of labor and other expenses. So kind of just really thinking about what resources are actually available for us to spend. The second, of course, is who's in charge and what are their priorities? Um, so, of course, the mayor, the board of supervisors, um, everybody has a policy agenda that they're following. Everybody has priorities that are following. But... In addition to that, there's sort of a lot of information um, gathering and sharing that's constantly happening, right? So given a list of priorities, we're constantly thinking about what's a new, better, more efficient way of approaching the problem. And so that's kind of constantly being informed in that way. And last is, of course, what are the state, what's happening at the state and federal level? So what's happening in DC, what's happening in Sacramento? Um, what are the new policies and programs that are being implemented? What is the impact of that in the local context here in San Francisco? How much are things going to cost? Where is that money going to come from? So this is just a sort of really high level view into all of the things. And, um, you know, for the, for, for the most part, all of these factors are being considered at the same time when we're thinking about how to approach the city budget. Next slide, please. Um, and so I wanted to jump right into sort of the timeline of this whole process, um, since that's, um, I think, most crucial to everybody that's gathered here. Um, and so the city is sort of always in what we call budget season. Um, but for us, the bottom line is that the mayor must introduce a balanced two-year budget on June 1st of each year. And so given that timeline and given that that's sort of the bottom line for us, I wanted to hone in a little bit about on the community input process and how that's already sort of baked into this, you know, many months long budget season. So in, in, this, in this slide, um, I've noted that basically starting right about now in, in the year to, um, you know, early spring is when especially for the mayor's proposed budget, because um, just to step back for one second, there's the mayor's proposed budget that comes out on June 1, and then there's the board approved budget that comes out later in the summer in August. And so if we're really thinking about targeting the mayor's proposed budget, this is sort of the window to do that in. During this window, um, we this is the time that we're spending assessing proposals 
both from city departments as well as from community groups and other member organizations. Um, we're, we're basically hearing all of the proposals that they would like to be heard. We're trying to figure out how those proposals align with the mayor's priorities and then sort of starting the decision making during this time. Um, so if we go to the next slide, please. Um, I wanted to mention that there are, even within that window and sort of moving beyond, there are these touch points that are baked into the process that are really meant for the community to weigh in, for the community to be a part of this process. The first of that is a departmental touch point. That, that means that departments, and this is a charter mandate um, in the city, departments hold public meetings to solicit feedback on budget priorities and their own departmental proposed budgets in January and in February. Most departments are charter mandated to have two public meetings. So that's your first touch point that's happening with departments. The second touch point, um, less sort of official and that it's not charter mandated, but staff from across the mayor's office meet with community groups in roughly the springtime in March. So whether it's people from my office, which is the mayor's budget office, whether it's the policy staff, we're constantly communicating with um, community groups, advocacy groups, really trying to understand what the need in the community is. And then simultaneously sort of thinking about how those needs are aligning with the policy priorities and sort of kicking off that decision-making with the mayor. The last touch point, which of course is not part of the mayor's proposed budget process, but is a touch point, is the board. And that happens much later on after June, but the board of supervisors staff also has a lot of interaction with community groups and tries to really kind of iterate on that same process so that that need can then be accommodated into the board phase of the budget process. Next slide, please. So basically, just to, to step back and give you all a sense here, roughly between now and you know end of February, early March, departments are developing their budget proposals. Um, and once, once we have the department proposals, that's when March through June, we call that mayor phase, that's when our office is examining all the proposals, just as I mentioned, both from departments and from community groups, and is aligning on mayoral priorities. And then in June through July, the board is doing that same exercise. Um, next slide, please. So I wanted to, um, this is a bit of a timeline that um, please everybody feel free to review this and I'm really happy to answer any follow-up questions that might come up. Um, but I wanted to highlight a couple of milestones here that are really key for our budget decision-making um, for future years. So right now we're in fiscal year 22-23. All the dates that I'm about to highlight are really going to inform fiscal year 24 and fiscal year 25 decisions. And so in December, um, just later this week, actually on Thursday and Friday, um, the mayor is going to issue her budget instructions. Um, this is guidance on her mayoral priorities, as well as sort of potential, any potential cuts, given the economic picture of San Francisco moving into the next two and then the three years after that. So this is a five-year picture. In January, the mayor's office, along with the controller's office and the budget and legislative analyst, 
which um, is, is basically the budget office for the Board of Supervisors. We issue what will be called the five-year financial report that will include all of this information. So that will really detail out that based on the projected revenues over the next five years, if we don't make any policy decisions, if we don't change anything, what is the delta? What's the difference between where our revenues might come in and how much our spending is growing? So that's what this report is going to lay out is what's the difference in sort of money coming in and what are all of the expenses that the city is sort of already has already committed to. Then in later February, as I showed on the previous slide, departments will submit their budgets for the next two fiscal years. So that's fiscal year 24 and fiscal year 25, which then kicks off mayor phase. Then in mid-March, um, this five-year report that um, I just mentioned that will be issued in January, in mid-March, we will actually issue an update to that report. So given that we've demonstrated this sort of projected five-year picture in January, two months later, we say, these are the honed-in projections. And here's, here's sort of like an update to what those projections look like. Um, and then lastly, in June 1, on June 1 is when the mayor's budget for all of the general fund departments comes out. So those are the kind of important dates to consider um, as you sort of digest this information. Um, next slide, please. Um, and just wanted to offer that it's all linked here. So if you go into the clickable version of this presentation, you'll be able to access all of this for all of the reports that I've mentioned for the for the last two fiscal years. Um, and so just wanted to offer that as a resource. Um, I'll, we can stop presenting here. There's a lot more slides, a lot more information for people um, if they wanted to get familiar, but that's the sort of like timeline process part of the presentation. Thank you, Radhika. And um, I just wanted to, one, um, step back and give some additional context to that uh, presentation because this was in response to the ARAC's multiple requests for information on budget advocacy um, for the committee. So um, just as a reminder, you know, this was not a funded committee. There was no budget that was allocated with the creation of the African-American Reparations Advisory Committee. And so the Human Rights Commission has been underwriting the work, but that means that we've been pulling money from other um, things that were funded in our budget process. And so while I know that we're grateful that Director Davis made those decisions, um, at the end of the day, it still takes money away from other things that were budgeted. And so we want and believe that this committee deserves to have its own allocation of dollars and members have asked for allocation of dollars to do different things. Um, and so we invited Radhika because as she mentioned, the budget instructions from the mayor just came out this month and we don't wanna be behind the ball in any way on advocating to the mayor um, and then if need be to the Board of Supervisors for uh, budget um, funding for this committee. Um, and so I know uh, Chair McDonald that will go to questions after, but um, if my colleague John could bring up the other slides that I have just to go over the overarching 2023 for, oh no, not this one. The other um, slides are about the forward calendar and that one should be called ARAC timeline 2023, 2022 and 2023. 
Brittany, thank you. I'm looking for the slides that you're calling forward. No problem. I can also share if you don't have that one handy. If you have them available, that would probably be the most expeditious way. Thanks, Kathy. You can go to the next slide. Okay, so our goals for 2023, as you all know, seat 15 remains vacant and we have been publicizing for this seat. Um, the one stipulation for this, um, for seat 15 is that you must currently or, or have previously lived in public housing. Uh, and so that application is open. Uh, we've gotten a few inquiries, but no one has applied yet or the clerk of the board has not advised us that anyone has yet applied. Um, so please continue circulating that opportunity and we hope that in January we'll be able to schedule a meeting with the rules committee to move um, applicants forward. Uh, we'd also like to um, have some more public engagements now that there are more opportunities to meet in person. And so one idea we have is around having some mixers in public spaces across the city. Um, and just to the point of accessibility, making sure that we're meeting people where they are. And we know that when we have those in-person engagements, it just brings a different energy. So um, I wanna thank um, Anjanette Coates and Mattia Phillips, who reached out to each of the members of the committee and conducted interviews just to take a temperature check and also go over any additions that you might have for the, the draft um, reparations plan report. Um, and also get your feedback on co-hosting mixers. So um, we'll definitely, to Star's point, be um, doing more with regard to our public engagement and outreach. We also have a survey that's been circulating for a while. We wanna remind folks to please um, take the survey and also share it with your friends, with your family, with your loved ones, with your colleagues. Um, we wanna get as much feedback as possible and. Um, additionally, we have a specialized San Francisco Black Census link, and we want to participate in that because in the spring we'll be doing some work with the Black Census project that's led by um, Alicia Garza, and um, just want to make sure that we have as great as part of participation as possible. We will. Uh, we have. We have. Um, submitted an application to do a, a bus campaign, an MCA campaign um, on the inside of buses and on bus depots for the reparations committee. And that is also just to increase um, public engagement and make sure that all of the diverse communities across Black San Francisco are participating in this reparations feedback process. So as Chair McDonald mentioned, we're going to be getting as much um, public feedback on the draft plan as possible. And we just want to make sure that we have diverse voices across our communities that are participating. Um, next, we are going to be moving forward with uh, a spatial mapping project with Kirby Lynch. And there'll be more information on that, but it'll really be an opportunity to, um, to uh, visualize the harm that we discuss across the report. Um, so we'll be scheduling time for Kirby to meet with each of the committee members, as well as to present here to the full body in the spring. We are initiating a project with, or not a project, we are um, 
initiating a collaboration with USF. And I wanna thank Professor Taylor for his facilitation of this. Um, so uh, we'll be working with Professor Taylor and Professor Stephanie Sears, who um, manages youth at the Marshall Riley Live Learn Housing Center, which are uh, it's a community of black students at USF. And they will be supporting both um, hosting uh, a series of listening sessions at USF around reparations, as well as circulation of our survey. And then again, to Star's point, they'll be getting an assignment around social media where each um, each team member will have to produce things on TikTok and um, Instagram to just increase engagement, um, particularly among our younger demographic. Um, and then we will additionally be initiating a project with Dr. Rachel Berhinsky around qualitative research with her master's students um, to support completion of the um, work that we're doing in this committee. Next slide. Sorry, I'm trying to hit the next slide. Hold on. No problem. There. Thank you. So here are the uh, dates for our future meetings in 2023. Um, we will continue this conversation around budget advocacy and outreach in January, as well as begin the discussions around the mapping project. Um, we will be talking about public engagement and listening sessions um, in February. And March, um, we don't have a headline um, topic, but that I just wanted to highlight that that would be the deadline for us to hold a hearing at the Board of Supervisors to get any feedback, good, bad, or otherwise, to the draft reparations plan. In April, we'll have our final presentation of the spatial mapping project. Um, in May, we'll discuss the draft final recommendations, and then that will be voted on and submitted in June. Next slide. So I uh, just wanted to give a reminder of the email address for those who are able to submit any comments or questions um, to sfreparations at sfgov.org. Thank you. I give it back to the chair. Thank you so much. appreciate um, both reports, Radhika, as well as uh, Director Tukwata. Um, again, gives us context for um, the path forward. We really appreciate it. Again, want to underscore one thing before we go to public comment and then return back to committee for questions and um, other discussion related to this, that the budget and the budget resources that we're talking about are to support the work of the committee. These are not resources for reparations. So I just want to make that distinction um, so the folks understand and appreciate what we are discuss discussing, excuse me, um, and focused on in this moment and context. Um, so with that, let's go to public comment uh, and, and then we'll return to committee discussion. First, I do see Larry Martin's hand raised. Welcome, Larry, thank you. Uh, yes, um, good evening, everyone. Um, I just have a question for Brittany. Um, Brittany, I apply for the seat, uh, seat 15. Um, and my question is, is my application still on file or do I need to uh, file again and get another le a letter of recommendation? Because I, I remember uh, I wasn't chosen at that time when, when Walton made that decision. 
So, um, yeah, that's that's what do I what do I need to do? I need to apply again, or is my application still on file? So I guess that's my question. Thank you. We would ask that you resubmit your application, please. Oh, oh, resubmit again. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Now I'd like to welcome Dr. Tompkins. I'm sorry, that's my technical error. Okay, thank you. Are there any members of the, oh, I do see another hand raised. Um, Alyssa Jones-Garner. Um, yes, thank you. And I just want to first thank um, committee member Brittany um, for your portion of the presentation. And you made a, a, a statement that I don't think people really appreciated, and that is that the mayor did not fund this committee. And it has been my understanding that you put your money into what you value. The fact that this committee to this day still remains unfunded and this work is, is being done through the volunteer efforts of the committee members is commendable, but it should be compensated. Um, I just wanted to state that first. Um, second, from the presentation um, that was given about the budget, first, what are the mayor's budget instructions currently to the departments? And has she saw fit to include demanding that the departments themselves take on some of this work as far as how they can make the work that they do, the services that they provide more not even just beneficial, but more equitable for our Black citizens in San Francisco. Um, that it could be one step in helping the reparations process um, on an institutional level. Second, <clears throat> and I apologize, I am quite ill and attempting to be as concise as possible. Um, in regards to the budgeting process, um, it was stated that um, largely many of the decisions would be made um, would affect the 2024 budget. Um, that budget cycle includes um, bargaining for every labor union in the city. So that means that we'd be fighting for reparations at the time that many of our brothers and sisters, 12% of the employed, um, the population employed by the city and county of San Francisco are also fighting for their own reparations as sort um, in, in the form of fair wages. And how is that going to contribute or decrease from the efforts of reparations as a whole for San Francisco if we will find ourselves embroiled in a battle with ourselves um, as both Black people living in San Francisco and harmed by San Francisco, but also working for the city and county of San Francisco. Thank you. Thank you. Now I'd like to welcome LaDonna Williams. Yes, thank you, um, Alyssa. You, you hit it on the head. I was just gonna come in and speak on that very thing. The mayor not funding that, uh, what is that, the Human Rights Commission to work on this issue shows the ultimate disrespect for this process for 
making right the wrongs that has been done to Black folks in this process. I wanted to ask, and I apologize for mispronouncing your name. I was trying to spell it out as I heard it, but is it Haradika, um, who um, is the mayor's budget assistant, I guess, on this budget advocacy? Did you require the Asian population and those committees that came before you when they had to come up with the reparations and the amounts for those folks? Were they asked to sit and analyze and understand the budget, the mayor's budget and the timeline and, and all of these things that are being thrown in our laps now to basically say, okay, there's money earmarked for this and this, you guys hurry up, get in and advocate for this. From what I recall, and it was on every news channel and every few seconds it was being ran when they were campaigning on the anti-Asian hate, San Francisco made it a priority. Uh, former Willie Brown and everybody else showed up for this support for them. Where is the priority? And I'm hoping that you take this back to uh, Mayor Breed that um, where's the priority? And you can show us through funding rather than tell us. And so far, what we're seeing here is more of the same. I, I don't see any difference between her reaction when we say Black folks are due this reparations that she well knows that as well, but it's the same reaction we've been getting from the White House with Biden and uh, Harris. It's disrespectful. We no longer will tolerate this. Black folks continue to jump through hoops. It's bad enough that we keep having these meetings after meetings, these debt, these schedules that just delay a process. We can't get anything done on time. Everything keeps being pushed back. In the meantime, every other population with their limited time of suffering has gotten, uh, has jumped frog leaps ahead of black folks in getting support for their harm and their suffering. I ask that you take it to the mayor, do it now. Thank you. Now I'd like to welcome Dennis Bishop. Can you unmute Dennis? Yeah, I'm unmuted. Thank you. So my first question um, is about the, the budget process and the forecasting and how often the forecast, the five-year forecast, uh, the young lady spoke about tracks toward, um, uh, well, how accurate is it? I guess is my question. Uh, and my other comment, uh, and, and so my, my comment, um following the um, previous two young ladies is um uh given historical patterns it, this is not a surprise um if power concedes nothing without a demand and uh if we actually really want this thing to go through we have to um be more organized um be more unified and uh and demanded at a level that hasn't been demanded before because if we don't we'll keep running up against these same walls 
right? And it's just this is just historical patterns. It happens over and over and over again. And uh, that's it. That's all I have to say. Thank you. Are there any other members of the public? Um, Dr. Tompkins, your hand is raised. Oh, and now I see um, member of the public McNeely. Welcome this evening. Hello, everyone. So thank thank um, everyone in the committee. Um, I I just wanted to um, say that um, I also am very concerned that the members of the reparations committee are not being paid for their efforts. I think that's such a red flag. Um, and the, the reason why is because um, free labor is what got us here in the first place, right? En enslavement of our people and subsequent discrimination have got us here in the first place. So I'm like very um, like disheartened that not only are they not being paid, but just like what, what is the thought process going on here? Um, that, and then I will also say to, um, I, think, I believe her name is Rad Radhika. I don't wanna, I'm sorry if I pronounce it incorrectly, um, that um, I would like to see, as I'm sure other people in the public would like to see, um, you know, when reparations is passed in San Francisco, like what, what is that going to look like on the city budget level? What is that gonna look like? That's very important for us to know because I am unsure if you know, everybody knows this and people that are listening that all eyes are on San Francisco. This is a historic moment. San Francisco is being looked at as one of the biggest and first major cities to have a reparations committee. And there are others that are following suit. So with that being said, sure, there are gonna be mistakes that are, are happening, but we need to be mindful of the fact that like all eyes are on us and it, it's very important that the process and how it's done is, is, is kind of like very thorough and, and, and well thought out on, on the budgeting level. Um, I would like to also say that, um, you know, I really, I again feel bad for the, the committee, I thought they were being paid for their work. Um, that's just really, really bad and bad taste. So thank you again, committee, for your work. I'm gonna say it a million times. Thank you again for your free labor. It's not okay, not okay with that. And um, yeah, that's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you. Now I'd like to welcome Dee Seligman. Thank you. Um, I have a question. I know you don't respond to in public comment, but let me raise the question possibly at a later point. Uh, because it's not clear to me how in June of 2023, either the committee request just me or she cut off i do not hear her chair okay miss seligman um, your connection has been lost so we can't hear you 
Are there any other members of the public who would like to participate in public comment on this particular item? Please use Freddie Martin. Yeah, thank you. I, uh, I'm actually driving, so I don't know if my connection is that clear, but I did see um, what was typed in the chat um, about the funding for this work can come from the board or the mayor. The reason for this meeting is to shed light on the budget process. When the process began, it was an oversight. Um, is, and I, it, was, it was an oversight for asking for budgeting for this. Um, I think that's what that means. Um, okay, and then the mayor and the board president allocated $180 million. Okay, so um, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I am concerned about this because I thought, I actually thought all the seats were, um, were getting um, compensated for their time. Um, and maybe I just misunderstood it when, because uh, I uh, also applied. Um, I'm not sure if I'll be able to reapply just because of my schedule, uh, but I need to um, get that information again. I guess I could find it on the site. I'm glad to hear about the USF reaching out to the students there. <clears throat> I tried to do an outside project with that and um, just because of the timing, it did not work out, but I think that's great. Um, I, uh, yeah, I'm really concerned about that. And some of the things that have been stated, it's like, it's just, uh, I don't know. It just seems like in some ways we're getting treated the same, the same old, you know, the same old way. But I know that that's part of this process and that's why we're fighting. Um, I'm just, uh, again, I wanna encourage, encourage people, you know, uh, not to give up and keep on doing what we're doing because like Cheryl Davis put in the chat, uh, chat, we, you know, we have gotten some things and that's just evidence that we can, you know, when we're organized like this and the more people we reach, I think the more we can do. So um, thank you for all the work that's been put in um, for no compensation. I appreciate that. So before um, we go to the next speaker, how many hands do we have raised? Just one. I, I see D Seligman has been able to reconnect. That is okay. the only person whose hand is raised. Okay, excellent. We will we will call on D Seligman in just a moment. Um, I just want to clear up that what has become kind of a thing in in, in the comments to date um, around compensation to and for the committee members. Again, want to make it clear that one, um, the budget that currently supports, um, and there is budget that supports the work of the committee is coming out of the um, <clears throat> Human Rights Commission um, budget. What discussion now is to get additional and more specifically specific earmarked budget um, over and above and outside of the Human Rights Commission budget to um, support the continuing and ongoing work of the committee. Yes, we can debate where or how that should have happened before, but that's what we're discussing right now. And secondly, um, committee members do receive a stipend um, uh, monthly for their participation and work on this committee. So again, wanted to just clear up that particular uh, question that has floated through several of the comments. With that, uh, Madam Secretary, let's call on D. Seligman. Thank you, Mr. Chair. 
Are you able to unmute? Yeah, the I think. Can you hear me now? Yes, thank you. Okay. Um, I'm still not very clear, uh, and Mr. McDonald tried to help me in his remark just before I came on. The committee, it, my understanding is this committee dissolves when its report is made. And if that's true, and the report comes out in June of 2023, and the mayor's uh, budget and the process doesn't end until the next month in July, but most of the lobbying going on happens in June, in my recollection, with all the various groups that are trying to to get uh, money uh, from the city. Um, by that point, it's too late to provide earmark budget because the committee itself is dissolved. And it's also not the right time at that point because whatever recommendations for monetary reparations that the committee puts forth to the Board of Supervisors will not have been approved and processed by the Board of Supervisors. So I'm really very confused as to, given the timing of when the budget process happens in June and July of next year, how that applies to either the work of the committee or to the monetary recommendations of the committee. And so if somebody could help explain that in a little more detail, I would appreciate it. Thank you for your comment. Are there any other members of the public who want to comment on the process at this time? Okay, I see no, oh, Dennis Bishop has, um, we can only accept public comment one time on this particular item. Dennis Bishop's hand is raised. Yeah, just a quick question. So this is to the committee members. Um, I saw the comment that advocacy should be should begin now, and I think it should have been, you know, um, going on this whole time. But what can um, citizens not on the committee do to help? Uh, like what you know. Um, uh, tasks or, or, you know, jobs or like in what ways um, do you guys need help in order to um, get the, the word out, whether, whether, whether somebody is applying to the committee or not, just as a, as a concerned uh, um, native, second generation native of San Francisco. Thank you. Thank you. If there are no members of the public who would like to participate in public comment at this time, Chair. Thank you so much. The public comment is closed. Thank you all for your comments. Um, before we go into discussion, uh, let me call on Director Davis. I just wanted to clarify and piggyback on one of the comments that came out that um, budget process, as Radhika explained, starts for the departments. Um, Theoretically, late September, we start the process again, but advocacy begins now um, in terms of the community meetings, in terms of um, the outlines and the directions that will come from the mayor's office to departments. And so I would say that there are a couple of different places that folks would do advocacy, and that's both committee members and community members. There's a phrase that um, many folks um, who do advocacy work know that's called walk the halls, basically walking the halls of city hall, walking the hall and knocking on every 
um, door of the Board of Supervisors and saying to folks that you are interested in talking about budget allocations, beginning that conversation, reaching out to different departments, coming up with those talking points, but having clarity on what the money amount is that you're asking for and why. I think, um, you know, Supervisor Walton initiated this um, legislation. He moved this forward. There were several parallel paths. NAACP was doing work. The mayor's office was launching the Dreamkeeper Initiative along with Supervisor Walton. So I think in that process, um, there were a lot of things happening and folks made some, not assumptions, but there was some confusion about how things were going to be paid for. There was money at the Human Rights Commission. We leveraged that. The, the real key here is that the committee itself has asked for money to do things. In order to do things, the committee needs to ask the board, um, the, the leading sponsor, the folks who actually put this legislation together, that is the Board of Supervisors, unanimously passed this. I would say that in addition to um, advocating to the mayor, part of this is the board. This is legislation that came from the board. The expectation is that you would lobby the folks who introduced this legislation, who organized it to give the funding for the things that you've asked for. It is not that this committee has not been supported to the best of our ability. It is that as the process has gone on, the committee has identified ways that they would like to pay for consultants or the people they would like to partner with. There was no money put into the budget for that because we didn't anticipate or know what exactly what it was that folks wanted. So my request has been, as you ask for things that come with a cost, that we also ask for money to cover those costs because currently there is no budget for the Reparations Advisory Committee outside of our Opportunities for All dollars, our Guaranteed Income dollars, and our Dreamkeeper dollars. So this was to make sure that the committee understood the budget process and could begin to make to do advocacy for the things that are not currently being paid for. Thank you, Director Davis. All right, before we go to other or additional comments or questions from committee members, let me um, just lift up a couple of the questions that came up during public comment and see if we can address those and then we can go to, again, broader discussion and comment. Um, the first one is there was a question regarding the of budget or resource allocation requirements um, put in front of um, the Asian and um, Asian Pacific Islanders as, as resources were allocated to them. So I would say, um, I'm not sure, and I'll defer to Brittany and Radhika, but I think that that might be a statewide initiative. There was not um, a specific San Francisco piece. There are some dollars that sit with DCYF and with Department of Children, Youth and Families and with the Human Rights Commission that are focused on violence prevention strategies in partnership with API and black communities. And then there are some other dollars, but they are not, I think the uh, 118 is um, a state initiative, not a city initiative. Thank you, Director Davis. Um, and I had a note and I- I know, Radhika, if you wanted to answer about any local dollars that were allocated. I'm not ready to speak to that at this moment, but if there is um, follow-up, happy to coordinate with Director Davis and Brittany Yeo. Thank you. Okay, let's go to committee discussion questions. Uh, so yeah, please raise your hand so that I can track things. Member Barry. 
Thank you, Chair. First, I have a question for the lady representing the mayor's office budget. What is the mayor's um, feelings or uh, not feelings, but goal reparations? Does she support it in her in the budget process? Also, um, just so members of the public and this committee understand, I do have concerns about them um, backtracking wholeheartedly. I saw in the news that um, San Francisco is all of a sudden in a deficit. California is all of a sudden in a deficit. And I feel they're gonna use that excuse. So um, I would like to recommend that this body double down on um, similar to what Director Davis was saying is lobby, not lobby, I guess that's not the word, walking the halls. And also to find places where we can uh, leverage funds like Proposition C money. That money isn't being efficiently spent. There's still plenty of it. The vacancy tax money, um, that budget, that ballot measure just passed in no this November. So using some of those funds for black or uh, reparations rather um, funding. Also, uh, no offense, but the racial, the Office of Racial Equity, maybe some of that money, because although they're doing good at data and making plans, there's no uh, accountability for departments that are not um, carrying out those plans. Also, the Department of Homelessness has been a failure, and a lot of their budget is. Um, not clear on what they're using it for. That's why the, they just voted in an oversight committee. So the question to the budget um, presenter is, does the mayor support reparations? Because I'm concerned of anti-Blackness people being um, catered to and them trying to strike it down. And then a question for Brittany, Director Brittany, is on the calendar, what I saw in the agenda is this report that's due this month will be presented to the Human Rights Commission, but I did not see a date that it would be presented to the Board of Supervisors. So you can you please advise us of what that date will be so that we can come to chambers. Thank you. So we can start with the with the mayor's office question and then go to Director Chiquata. That that question is really beyond the scope of um, my my job. Um, I work in the budget office, and so I'm happy to come back um, if that's helpful. But I'm not able to answer that question at this time. Thank you so much, Director Chiquata. Thank you, Brittany Chiquata. Um, so on the question of when we would, um, when this body would go before the Board of Supervisors. So in item six, we'll talk in greater detail, or excuse me, I believe it's seven, um, but we have to submit a resolution to the clerk of the Board of Supervisors, essentially requesting a date um, when we would be assigned to a, a committee and present the reparations plan. So it is at the discretion of the um, Board of Supervisors, but we will submit a resolution and then they will um, give us a date. 
Thank you. And there was also a question um, uh, related to similarly the Human Rights Commission. So um, the resolution that we are submitting will be sent to the mayor's office, the board of supervisors and the commissioners of the Human Rights Commission. And so it is at the discretion of the seated bodies when a meeting will be held to discuss the draft reparations plan. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you. Okay. Um, those are the questions at least that I heard and held coming out of public comment. Any other comments from committee members and or questions around this item uh, in terms of the for 2023 forward calendar review? Okay, seeing none. Thank you so much, um, Radhika and uh, Director Tequata for that item and um, guiding us. So we appreciate it and we will close this item. Thank you so much. Please call the next item. Item number six is review the draft San Francisco reparations plan. This is a discussion item. The San Francisco African-American Reparations Advisory Committee will review the draft San Francisco reparations plan that will be submitted to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, Mayor's Office and Human Rights Commission in compliance with ordinance number 259-20. Presentation from Brittany Chiquata, Director of the Economic Rights Division, San Francisco Human Rights Commission, and Joelle Stewart. There will be public comment on this item and committee discussion. Thank you so much. So we will first hear from Director Tequata and Joelle Stewart. We will then go to public comment. And then we will return to the committee for questions and discussion. Thank you. Thank you. I'd actually like to ask Dr. Davis to first speak. Thank you. I, I just wanted to, because I know there was a couple of comments in the chat as well. I just wanted to, to say as we develop and, and put out the report, um, I'm not sure that everybody's timelines or some of the things will all mesh and agree, but I will say that when the committee was launched, um, Reverend Brown and the NAACP had been in conversation with both Mayor Breed and President Walton. President Walton had been doing his own research and done some level of engagement and work and was already moving forward after he had had conversations with Mayor Breed. And at the same time, we were launching the Dreamkeeper Initiative and um, other things were happening. So there was there may be, as we put all of this out, confusion about what came first and who came first and whose idea it was or who was involved and who wasn't. And um, I just wanna recognize and acknowledge that Reverend Brown and the NAACP were doing some work that was on a parallel path with what um, President Walton was moving. And during that time, President Walton was having conversations in community and had hosted several meetings and engagements as well as had conversations about launching the Dreamkeeper Initiative as well as this. So in the context of this, we're going to try and do our best to like get the stories right and honor the truths that folks have, but also just recognize that at some point all the paths converge um, and that we all are moving towards the same goal, but that we may not agree on how we all got there. So I just want to acknowledge and thank Reverend Brown for his leadership and work in that regard, but also um, recognize and appreciate that President Walton was um, doing his own research and investigation and having conversations with um, 
different community partners, as well as the mayor and the NAACP as he developed and, and launched this resolution or legislation. Thank you, Director Davis. So good evening, members of the public and members of the African-American Reparations Advisory Committee. My name is Brittany Chiquata, uh, Director of Economic Rights at the Human Rights Commission. And I just want to start by saying thank you to each and every person who has contributed to the point that we are at at this time um, with our draft San Francisco Reparations Plan. And I think that it is no small feat that after 18 months and um, just as many public meetings um, that we are ready to submit this um, living document. And so I also want to begin by thanking my colleagues at the Human Rights Commission for your work on um, getting this draft plan. Joelle Stewart, who was the lead writer on this and helped us to organize all of our thoughts and get um, this document constructed. Um, Zach Manuel, Anjanette Coates, Mattia Phillips, who I mentioned earlier, who, who interviewed each of the panelists. Um, it has definitely been a group effort. And so um, for my portion of this conversation, um, I wanna focus on um, the final draft of the eligibility requirements. Um, and one, I want to um, apologize that I was not here at the meeting where this was discussed. I mean, I don't completely apologize because I was in Mexico, but I'm sorry that um, <laughs> after drafting it per the chair's um, direction that I wasn't here to answer the questions as they came up. And I um, reviewed the, the last video and I, and I know it was a very robust discussion. And so we wanted to number one, um, just go through the um, eligibility. Um, but first, let me just say, you know, we've gotten to this point because um, as Director Davis mentioned, um, there has been no shortage of um, voices from the public who have demanded, rightfully demanded, um, reparations for San Francisco's Black citizens and for the continued marginalization and continued racial trauma that Black citizens in San Francisco have faced. And um, we know that this report is joining a broad contemporary um, moment around reparations, um, specifically the expanding and um, expanding on the understanding of the role that city governments have played in perpetuating harms that further marginalize Black communities. And so for this report and for the, for the San Francisco specific work as has come up um, across this meeting, this is different from the California task force and their eligibility and criteria and their recommendations, which came out at the top of the month. And I think that that may have caused a bit of confusion because of the coverage there. But if you look through the recommendations, which are towards the end of the document, we haven't changed anything that has been put forth and that has been discussed by this committee because we are not here to undermine that process in any way. Our role as the HRC has been to be a backbone for the committee to help with collecting and cataloging all of the recommendations as they have been um, mentioned both in these um, full body spaces as well as the listening sessions as well as the personal emails um, that we have received um, and present that back to you as you have stated, because this is your work and these are your demands and we are not trying to color or change them in any way or you know, put our thumb on the scale at all. It's really just to be a support and to um, 
collect the thoughts in a comprehensive way. Um, and so really this report is, is um, looking at the legacy of civic dis disinvestment um, that this committee and members of the public have uh, discussed um, continuously and, and really wanted to capture the findings that um, there, while there have been various pro programmatic and policy decisions by San Francisco's government, um, and that those have been generational and overlapping, we know that decisions, um, consistent city, private and public decisions uh, have played a significant role in undermining Black San Franciscans and our wealth, um, actively displaced, violently displaced the city's Black population. And we really kind of honed in on um, the period around urban renewal, because we know that as the growth of San Francisco's African-American population accelerated between 1940 and 1963, that public and private entities were um, facilitating and coddling conditions that um, excluded Black communities from political participation, disinvested from academic and cultural institutions, and intentionally disrupted and displaced Black communities. So um, I'll jump to the eligibility list now, please. And we just wanted to highlight this um, because we have gone over the recommendations a number of times, but we did want to reflect that we were listening to the feedback that came from the last meeting. So if you could go to the next page, please. Um, so we uh, changed and moved up that an individual must have identified and must identify on public documents as Black or African American. Because as um, Vice Chair Collins was saying, if, if we are not being, if you are not um, moving forward with saying that this is for Black people, then should we even call it reparations? So that has been moved up per your recommendation and per the feedback from the public that came at the last meeting. Um, Additionally, um, the number of years for a person who has had residency was changed to 13 years based on trying to demonstrate generational impact versus it was at 10 years previously. Um, we added having a record of attendance in San Francisco public schools at the time of the consent decree. Can you go to the next slide, please? Um, we also added the that you're listed or the direct descendant of a certificate of preference holder. And I'm not, or it might be on the previous page, but I thought that we also added um, an item about, was it, I think it was the foster care system. Vice Chair Hollins, you might know better but we discussed this and I'm not seeing it on there. But it looks like one is missing around um, a person who was in the foster care system. Um, but yes, just wanted to put the, these updated items um, on the checklist before you. And just like the rationale for how we reach this beyond like the feedback that you have gotten is that Typically, as we have discussed at large, you have to use some type of proxy for um, identity. And so we're trying to be as specific as possible to make sure that, you know, beyond the required that we're capturing people who 
have been in San Francisco, have helped to build San Francisco and have directly um, been impacted and harmed and experienced continued harm by um, San Francisco's decisions. So I will pass it to Jewel. Can you go back to that last slide? Or where is this available? It's in the draft report. Um, and we can also put a PDF in the chat. Thank you. Okay, good evening, everybody. Um, I am Joelle Stewart. I work at the Human Rights Commission and I have been working alongside Brittany and um, Brittany Chiquata and um, our other colleagues on the reparations uh, report. And I just wanted to share, um, Kathy put a, my colleague Kathy Mulkey-Meyer put a link to the draft reparations plan into the chat box. So members of the public, please feel free to um, click on that copy of the PDF. And I'm going to share my screen and um, we'll talk about the, a little bit about the um, draft report itself. Um, so, you know, it's hard to go over a full draft um, with, a, a, you know, dozens of people right now. So we're going to go over, I'm going to talk about the outline and uh, you guys can feel free to review. Of course, my computer's doing something weird. That's great. Um, you guys can review the full document and email the um, reparations at sfgov um, email address if you have any updates. Um, and we did get a lot of feedback from the, um, we got a lot of feedback from people from, um, on the recommendations in the form that we sent out. So thank you for everybody who responded to that. Let me stop sharing my screen right now. Um, sorry, of course my computer desi decides to do whatever it's doing um, when it's the least appropriate time to do that. Um, so I don't know what's going on with that. So everybody, <laughs> you guys can um, take a look at the full document. Um, the link is in the chat once again. And um, basically we wanted to make this draft um, really focus on the narrative because narrative is really important and, um, you know, in this work, it's probably the most important thing. So we wanted to get a, um, we met with the, um, committee members, the com the subcommittee leads got the feedback through all the outreach that we've done um, to, you know, up to this point, we incorporated that in this draft and laid a con, you know, laid out the context of uh, what was going on, just like Brittany said, talk going through the um, going through like the decades and really making a case for the um, Thank you. Yeah, making a case for the harms. Thanks for putting that up. Um, so, you know, just going through the committee itself, talking about the past harms uh, throughout his history and highlighting um, notable figures throughout um, Black history, Black San Francisco history, because another thing we thought was really important was that this be a document that's not just a legal document or a um, 
you know, a, a report, but something that really gives um, the credit that is due to Black San Francisco. So we, um, I thank the committee members, especially uh, Member Hamilton, for really pointing out the nuances and consequences that happen, even though events may have happened in one San specific San Francisco community, affect, you know, it affects all of us, um, all of Black San Francisco. So if you could move forward in that, thank you so much for displaying that. So you can see a little bit here about um, what our thought process was in offering that historical context. As we said, uh, identifying the migration patterns around World War II, even though, you know, we note that um, Black people were here before that, but this is really when that population boom starts happening. And then when the backlash starts happening for the, against the Black community, um, you know, we were I say we, but I didn't grow up here, but Black people were excluded from many parts of San Francisco um, because of, just because of race. And so, you know, that's something that we all know, but putting that into context about how this was a federal, it, you know, it was a directive that happened federally that went down to the state level and then was codified by the San Francisco Redevelopment Agency and it displaced thousands of Black residents specifically and targeted. Um, and so then we talk about the present as well. Um, something that we really wanted to uh, do too is highlight the, um, as um, Brittany said, um, in this third part, talking about the past city commissions and reports, because we thought it was really important to focus, to highlight that this Many things we've heard many times in these meetings. Why are we doing this again? We've studied this already. What's going to come of it? You know, and that is, um, you know, it's valid feedback. And so we wanted to um, elevate the fact that this, these reports have happened before, and many of the reports echo what. Um, echo the same harms that we identified through this process and also echoes many of the same solutions. And so we wanted to reinforce that with saying like, you know, these it's, we don't need to reinvent the wheel, but here you, here you go. Here's a wheel um, that we have. Um, but, you know, so we go through the unfinished agenda. Then we go um, like historically, there are a few reports that really stood out um, you know, and you, they talk about the the population decline, the economic shifts between 1964 and 1990, um, and you know, we highlighted some of the goals that were in that um, in that report and you know pro program initiatives and some to the city's credit as director davis said some have been implemented already throughout um you know starting in 2020 but there's still some things that are outstanding and so we really wanted to focus on that and i thank my colleague zach manuel for going through those reports and really identifying the um the overlap and so there's there's quite a bit, as you can see. And again, this is in the full report, but this is just an outline form to make it a little bit easier to talk about. Um, this is the outline that we use to write the report. And so, you know, you can see home ownership came up as something that was fundamental in um, this past report, you know, in the early 2000s. And the home ownership is coming up again. It's not, it's not a new thing, you know, not to belabor the point, but we wanted to um, echo that. And so the recommendations, um, you know, echo throughout history as well. 
history repeats itself quite a bit. Um, and then from that, we also um, we also talked about the report that created the HRC. And then 2020, um, we thought it was important to highlight the ongoing efforts too. So then we also talk about the California State Reparations Committee and offer context there. And their report, if you all have not seen that full report, um, it mentions San Francisco specifically many times. Um, and then we get to the actual San Francisco African-American Reparations Advisory Committee recommendations. Um, and so there were a few recommendations um, that overall recommendations that came um, that were common thread throughout the subcommittee recommendations. And so we elevated those to be, um, you know, just like common recommendations. I think it, like, you know, create an office of reparations within the city. That's something that came up. I think someone commented on that in the public comment earlier this evening. And so an oversight committee, things to help with the continuity of this body was were really important and people um, pointed that out. And then we get to the recommendations by subcommittee, um, all of which are, you know, linked in there, but um, in the full document, all of the recommendations are out there. Um, and so we really wanted to, and then we have uh, recommendations that were elevated through the public process, but those recommendations kind of like fit into the um, subcommittee recommendations. And so that was really good too. And something that I wanted to also point out is that, um, we want this to be a document as we talk, thank you so much for showing that. Um, as we talked about, we wanted this document to be a living document and sort of instructive of how like a blueprint going forward. These are things that you can advocate for. This is how you can plug in. And so we're still working on that element of it. Um, and we'll be working on that through, um, you know, between now and June, the final submission and ongoing, doing the ongoing community engagement process as well. But, you know, we want this to be, the reality is that it's going to take the whole community, as we've mentioned, to advocate for, um, for reparations um, as as we've mentioned many times. And so the real focus on this iteration of the report that's going to be submitted next Friday was to highlight those, like, you know, give the recommendations themselves and to uh, spin that narrative. But we're all, we'll also be adding to this report before it is submitted, the final version is submitted in June with more feedback, more context, more analysis, um, like with our partners, Dr. Lynch and USF and other uh, institutions partners. And so this isn't the final version of it, but um, we still want feedback and welcome feedback um, as Director Davis and um, Brittany have pointed out. And so that's the, please read through it. Um, tell us what you think. Email us. Happy to hear from you. But yes, that is um, a little bit of what, you know, a little bit of context as to how this report came together. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Director Tequata, for your presentation on the eligibility criteria. And so we have the sum total, at least of the current iteration. Um, let me say this just before we go to public comment, um, just as a reminder, and we'll repeat it again before we conclude this item. So the deadline for input, feedback, edits, et cetera, um, is um, Monday, the 19th of uh, December, um, so that the final version of the draft recommendations uh, will be submitted to 
the Board of Supervisors, the Mayor's Office, and the Human Rights Commission um, on Friday the 23rd. With that, let's go to public comment, please, and then we'll return for committee discussion. Members of the public may use the raised hand icon to indicate you would like to participate in public comment on this item, the draft report. Um, public comment will be three minutes. I do see Robert Reinhardt first. Welcome. Can you unmute yourself? Can you hear me now? Yes. Thank you. Yeah, I'm Robert Reinhardt and I work within the Health and General Welfare Committee of the San Francisco Black and Jewish Unity Coalition. And our committee also participated a little bit in the November 7th Special Advisory Committee meeting where health recommendations were discussed. So I'm trying to square that very robust and important discussion with what's now in the draft. And I just want to point out one hopeful edit or addition to the draft report now. Um, the Health Committee of the, of the Reparations Advisory Committee noted the significant disparity in life expectancy between uh, Black populations in San Francisco and everyone else. More than 10 years of life expectancy discrepancy. And for Black males, it's even worse. The life expectancy of a Black male in San Francisco is only 68 and a half years. And in this current draft of the report, I think as um, was pointed out, there's some um, restatement of the history or background or context. And on pages 14 and 15 of this draft, you see some of the telling um, important figures about health issues. I, I think it would be very helpful to insert a sentence about this unconscionable disparity in life expectancy because it's such a significant catch-all for so many health issues, not just um, direct problems with specific diseases, but social determinants of health, access to health, all those things are factors in why this disparity exists. So if that could be one of the things that makes it into the report as it goes forward, and of course, action items around that, we have proposed having the Health Commission take up life expectancy as a deliberate separate item. Of course, we would appreciate that kind of work as well. Um, those are my comments and thank you for allowing me this time. Thank you. Now I'd like to welcome Kenneth Johnson. Can you unmute Mr. Johnson? Yeah, hi everybody. I just I just got in, forgive me. Um but I'd like to know if the report I've heard on the news over the, the weekend and last week that um it, it was founded that because of discrimination of black folks, we're supposed to get two hundred thousand dollars a piece. I don't know if anybody else have heard that on the on, on the radio. But it, it came out that each black person in California, African American, uh, is, should get two hundred thousand dollars. And I want to know. 
I want to know if that's in the report or did anybody hear that it was some kind of big committee. Uh, maybe it was the, uh, the state committee on reparations, but they uh, figured that what I just said. So I'd like to know if anybody else heard that. And if, if you guys did cover that before I came on, cause I just got home. Thank you, Mr. Johnson. Now I'd like to welcome Alyssa Jones Gardner, or Garner, excuse me. Thank you. Um, excuse me. Um, I'd first like to thank um, committee member Jewel for um, addressing the, the underlying sentiment um, in the room in regards to the excessive demand being placed on black people to justify our existence and our needs and demand our, our equitable treatment in the society. Cause that's what you are hearing. It may have come off as frustration, but that's that's the sentiment that that a lot of us are are feeling. Um, I would like to speak in support of the work that the reparations committee is doing and the need for it. The the fact that you're addressing these multiple aspects of the lived experience of Black people, it will only help to benefit us, not only in justifying the need for reparations, but the depth and breadth to which racism, discrimination, and race-based prejudice has impacted the lives of generations of Black people in this city. Um, I had a question about the draft checklist for um, criteria for um, applying, will something be stated or included um, for parents that have young children that have been impacted by racism and discrimination in this city? Um, and will they also be eligible to apply for their children um, for reparations? Um, I say that as someone who's been a caregiver for many children that have been horribly treated within not only our school system, but our healthcare system in San Francisco, purely because of their race, denied service, denied equitable treatment, um, stereotyped, denied services within our education and healthcare systems. And I feel it's important that not only for the adults in the room that we fight for ourselves, but that we do and make sure that we have an avenue to fight for our children as well. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Dr. Tompkins, I see your hand raised. Can you unmute yourself? Good evening. Hello. Hello. Um, earlier, I, for some odd reason, I couldn't get through or recognize. I had a question previously dealing with the financial uh, process and that putting in, and I somewhat echoed the concern of disrespect towards the uh, concept of reparations when we're going to have to battle out during the regular period of time where everybody else, all the other departments, uh, to the mayor's office, are you suggesting that in terms of 
in the health department's budget that they will address the issues of health care of the African-American community? Will there be a set dollar amount? I'd like to know that. If not at this meeting, at a next coming up meeting. And will the mayor override, because I spoke to the director of the Southeast Clinic when he made a petition to get Black doctors over at the Southeast Clinic, that the HR committee said they couldn't do that or make any priorities, and that was reverse discrimination. Could we get past this stupidity for a kind of word and deal with the medical issues that are addressing and that are contributing to the previous speaker talking about the uh, uh, life expectancy rate? It's even, in the past, it was even worse for African-American males. It was 58 years. In 19, when I started at the Southeast Clinic in 94, with Cynthia Selmar was director. And for African-American women, and Dr. Tomas Aragon did the breast cancer study that he put out there, that given all the social economic factors of education, income, and everything else, African-American women have a 77% higher mortality rate than her white counterparts. These are issues that have been established, but yet have not been addressed. So I'd like to get some guidance or understanding how is the mayor going to prioritize this? And I really feel insulted if reparations, you're telling us we have to go fight all these other organizations and not putting a financial set aside to address these issues. I haven't had any clarity. I'm very confused on this. And if I can get clarity on this matter, it would be deeply appreciated. And I wish that then if the board here would ask the Air District to provide my report on genetic susceptibility and the air studies that we did over a 20-year period in Bayview-Hunters Point with San Francisco State University that I was a faculty member of. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Tompkins. Now I'd like to welcome a um, member of the public, McNeely. Welcome. Um, hello, everybody. I just had I had a few questions and some comments. Um, I first wanted to um, address the um, checklist for eligibility. The draft checklist, I don't know if it was just kind of um, placed on the presentation kind of weirdly or um, or what, because there was kind of two screens and I screenshotted them. Um, first of all, I'm in support for lineage-based reparations. Again, I'm going to say it five times so that we can get is it lineage-based reparations, lineage-based reparations, lineage-based reparations. That should be the first requirement, not a part of the checklist. It should be folks who are classified as descendants of chattel slavery. And in addition to that, there is a precedent we were called freedmen by the federal government after um, slavery was abolished. We were, we were classified as freedmen. So even if that was the requirement, because under this checklist, again, folks who are of African descent or Caribbean descent who identify as Black, they would qualify under these um, these eligi eligibility checklists that we have in well from what I see right now so again I could have been 
making, uh, I could have read this wrong because, you know, it's on two separate, um, uh, on the uh, presentation, it was on two different charts or whatever. But um, again, we should probably talk about establishing a San Francisco Freedmen's Bureau. I saw it was on the second presentation, um, establishing a, a thing with the city. Um, it should be the Freedmen's Bureau. They can help with genealogy, with eligibility for criteria, with discrimination complaints and legal help, eventually opening a bank, helping with housing, healthcare resources and education. In August of 2022, Gavin Newsom signed Senate Bill 189. That's gonna, that's gonna authorize the Department of Human Resources to delineate Black Americans who are descendants of chattel slavery, who are freedmen from other Black identifying groups. It is very important that we do this right. Again, San Francisco Reparations Task Force, the entire country is looking at you. Lineage-based reparations should be the first eligibility requirement, not, you know, a part of a criteria. It should be the requirement. Um, that is really what I want to drive home. And I don't know why that's something that should even be at this point a, a bone of contention. It's literally the requirement. Lineage-based reparations for de descendants of American chattel slavery. Thank you. LaDonna Williams, you are next with your hand raised. Yes, I just wanted to say thank you uh, to the uh, committee member, Stuart, for clarifying um, a lot of the confusion that we have going on. Um, but I did want to ask a question about the children of, say, a parent. Uh, or guardian, if they are entitled to adoption or whatever, but are they entitled if they don't fall within that age range, but their parent did? And case in point, there is a community member whose parent just recently passed away that falls within that age group. However, her children, her remaining uh, children do not. They're younger. They're, I think, in the 2000, but she felt falls within that realm. And then the other thing I wanted to say was we have to also be prepared um, to go into this with no supporters. I, we keep hearing, well, we have to have our allies. Well, of course we want those allies. We, we, you know, really want that support, but if we don't get it, we need to be prepared <laughs> to be moving hard and, and unapologetically, because if you look at what is being put out now, it's been out for quite some time and I'm sure you all might have been seeing it, but you have these various groups, in particular, these Asian groups through this Pacific Legal Foundation, who is on YouTube blatantly saying that they are going to oppose this plan that is being put forward. The same thing with some of these Latino groups, saying the same thing, they're opposing uh, reparations specifically for Blacks because they're not responsible for our suffering. Yet, we can turn that same table back and say, excuse me, but Black folks aren't responsible for your suffering either. Yet, you've been allowed to come over here. And not only have you been allowed to come over here, but our Black leaders in 1978 led the charge 
to support, particularly uh, Cambodians, I believe it was, or Indonesians maybe, but they were of Asian descent and our black leaders rallied together and supported them coming over here so that they could have a better way of life. Many of them went on to become doctors and lawyers and what have you only to turn around and use that against us. And that is coming from some of their own Asian folks who are saying they are just now in their 50s and 60s coming to the realization of what has been done for them. So, you know, I want to compliment you. I've got just oh, a headache that feels like a volcano. I could only imagine what you all are going through doing this work. But, you know, we need to cut all this talk out and get to it now. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, are there any other members of the public attending the meeting who would like to comment on the plan, the draft plan or the eligibility list that were presented? Please use the raise hand icon. Dennis Bishop. I, I want to thank the committee members for all your work. Um, and I'm, I'm basically reiterating something, I'm, a comment I made in an earlier meeting, but um, black wealth is trending towards zero. And um, the discrepancies and the, in, um, the historical uh, discrimination has been um, institutional. And so any uh, reparations that we put put forth should also be as institutional, right? It should be at an institutional level. Um, because if you just, you know, um, address it at a monetary level, uh, that money ends up back into the same system, right? It just, it just, you, you, uh, you're not, you're not actually fixing a lot of the underlying problems. And I, I haven't read the report yet, but I, I will. Uh, so I could be, you know, speaking out of, out of line, but um, I, so um, one of the reasons why I got into tech was to address some of this stuff. And uh, there are some organizations, and I, I put a question in, in the Q&A, there are some organizations I believe can help um, with, with some of this work if you guys are open to it. Um, but I... Uh, I think about a world in which my kids have to grow up when with black wealth being zero, and it scares me, right? Uh, this being the seat of technology in, one of the seats of technology in the world, definitely the seat of technology in the United States. Um, I believe we have a unique, we're in a unique position and we have a unique responsibility to address this stuff. Um, and I think, uh, you know, the historical significance of this cannot be understated uh, as, a, as a few people have already uh, put forth. And so, um, but again, I'd like to say I thank you guys for your work. Um, uh, you know, if however we can grease the wheels, whatever we can do to, to get the job done, outreach, um, you know, making sure uh, the community is, is, you know, is, is, is on board. I'm down to help. Um, yeah, that, you know, that's really all I have to say. I'm a, I'm a second generation citizen. 
uh, second generation native born here in San Francisco. And, um, you know, just, just really want to do my part. Like this is part of my mission. So let me know. Thank you. Jetan Carey. Can you unmute yourself? Hello, good evening, everyone, and thank you to the committee. I want to speak about the eligibility requirements. And I'm very curious about the two requirements that you have listed there. And might there be the opportunity to, um, one, reiterate what someone else kind of um, spoke about, and that is sort of adding the Friedman language to the requirements. And then the other thing that becomes tricky is I see something that says about public documents. And I'm wondering if there can be something that's very specific, either a birth certificate or something different, because public documents just seems to be a little bit too loosey loose. And so I'm making that recommendation to the committee um, as, some, as something to really review. Because again, if we're thinking about making this very specific, um, I wanna make sure that public documents is something that can't be generalized in other areas. Because we're using language to say identify as black, identify as African-American, and I would ask the committee to think deeper and how do we get very much more specific around that? Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other members of the public attending this meeting who would like to participate in public comment on the draft plan? Chair McDonald? Vice Chair Hollins, I do not see anyone indicating they would like to participate in public comment. Uh, seeing none, public comment is closed. Thank you all so much. Again, we always appreciate your comments and contributions to this work. Um, so we're going to come to committee um, discussions, questions, etc. cetera. Uh, I am going to call on Reverend Brown first since he raised his hand three items ago uh, to make comments. So we will start with Reverend Brown and then I see your hand. Member Barry. And just as a point of, of uh, not clarity, but understanding, this is a discussion item only, so there's not a decision to be made this evening. Reverend Brown. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, members of Task Force Advisory Committee. As I said early on, we should commend the leadership of this task force but with all of our different personalities and perspectives, our chairperson has done an outstanding job keeping us on point and also for permitting us all to speak our piece. Secondly, the staff has done an outstanding job of being the recorders and making sure that what we've said and hope to do would be recorded adequately and accurately. And I would like to do two quick things since I'm serving on the state task force as vice chair to invite you to not pay any attention to that spin, uh, that uh, yellow 
journalistic reporter from the New York Times put on the idea of reparations by suggesting that our state task force had recommended a figure. There's no truth in that. We are a deliberative body, the same as this is a deliberative body. And no vote was taken. There was just somebody out there making up something. But if we're not careful, these kinds of slick people would try and set us up to implode and to end up going around chasing our tails in a skunk fight. And we don't want to do that. We want to have something of substance that's going to be, in my estimation, for the good of the people, the people, for the people's good. And number two, that's politically practical. To get something like this through, you got to be a practical politician and knowing what buttons to push, where, when, and how. That's the reason why our first African-American male of this city, Willie Brown, was so successful. Became an astute political leader, having that long-term as speaker of that assembly. And he always said, if you're gonna go into this practical field, of politics are trying to make the possible a reality. You better know how to count and you better know who to talk to and who to hang with to get through what we want for the people's good. The people's good. And my little personal evaluation estimation is we should be about Ubuntu because we are, therefore I am. And not be about trying to push rugged individualism. That's what has got us all messed up with this extreme rugged, individualistic, greedy, capitalistic world that has caused so many of us to be down at the bottom and only just a handful up at the top. Next thing I want to say as an old rugged history buff, I think that we should be careful not to toot our horn, but to tell the truth. The establishment has done far too much to misrepresent our history. Instead of it being history, it, 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 it was, as somebody said, his story or her story and not our story. And our story about this task force from day one is that the oldest, the largest, the most feared, the most revered civil rights organization in the world, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People is the body that first broke the idea of reparations here in the city and county of San Francisco in an official way. And the record reveals that that we went to members of the Board of Supervisors and also we brought in to this city that iconic fellow, Danny Glover, to push reparation. 
And number two, in terms of telling our story, it was Brother Shimon Walton, who caught the spirit and joined us and was used to give us the crafting of the legislation to establish this task force. And at the end of the day, I trust and hope that we will stay on point and come to the end of this journey saying, look at what we did as a collective body for the good of our people in the areas of health, education, economic empowerment, restoring our watering hole, that Fillmore Center, making sure we deal with this criminal justice system where far too many of our young men and young ladies have been wrongly locked up and have not received justice, have not been involved in restorative justice programs, but need to come back to our communities and be here with their families, in our organizations, in our faith communities, and doing those things that really make us a great people who know how to make a way out of no way in spite of what has been thrown at us. And it will continuously be thrown at us. Just think about it, Warnock One down there in Georgia, in spite of all the efforts of the enemy. But even after we had that great victory, what happened another day? Here comes cinema to spoil everything. And never should we naively think that if we're going to have victory even in the city of St. Francis, that it is going to be because somebody has a moral conscience or has the goodness of heart. But we got to be smart enough to know how to say the right things at the right place at the right time and push the right buttons and change this situation in this city where we are still, as someone else said, even from another ethnic group. It's a shame before God, all the prophets, Mary and Martha, that we don't get our full days in this earth. And it will become mute and immaterial if we even talk about reparations. And we're still the sickets. We are still those persons whose days are cut off because we haven't been eating right because we haven't gotten medical help. And that's the reason why I thank God for that brother who said, we ought to have in Bayview Hunters Point, a holistic health center. You can't go nowhere if you're sick, if you're weak. And secondly, we need education. We gotta be on this city, this school board and say to them, since you take so much from us, you owe it to us to come up with a program that is not being discriminatory. Where well, my teacher, Martin Luther King said, if America and any city has organized to do th bad things against the Negro, they were calling us Negroes then, we must organize and do good things with the Negro for the betterment of the Negro. And that's what reparation is about. That's what affirmative action is all about. So I say to us right on, let's love each other, hang together. And when it comes time to go to the board of supervisors, bring everybody, Ray Ray, Samantha, 
Samuel. In order that we would say, in large numbers, just do what you've done for others who were wrong. And when we do that, we will win the day. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I know I've been a little lengthy. Thank you. I gave a sermon. <laughs> yes, I'll, my, I'll, my, I'll, my bones are fired up. Yes, Shout sir. Up. We appreciate you I for your within. And oh, the years that, yes. And we thank all of you. And God will put smiles on our faces because we will have shown the world that we know how to love each other and to fight in spite of the hell that's been thrown at us even since California became a state. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you. Appreciate your leadership both now and over time. Um, I'm not sure whether to open the doors of the church or ask for an offering. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just not sure where to, <laughs> where to go right now, but we're going to go to the next speaker uh, and keep it moving. Miss Barry, please. Yeah, I'll have to follow up after Reverend Brown. Woo. But uh, let's go. So um, far as the report is concerned, I want to thank Brittany and Joelle for their tireless work to put our paraphrases and our little um, suggestions into articulate details. Can't be easy. So thank you. And um, I want to address the eligibility. Uh, I, I, I hear the public and I hear actually members of, the, of this body who is, is kind of um, the conflict of whether we go with descendants of slaves or someone who identifies as black through public records. So perhaps that's something we could put on the agenda later on to vote on and um, get more input because now that I see the criteria, I see that, um, and, and just to give an example, I mentioned it before, I worked for the census, I was assistant operations manager, and there's a lot of people from Central America and South America that identify as black, went to public school and have been to jail. So they would be able to get reparations. And the more we leave the door open, the less money individual issues or departments or, or whatever we're gonna have will, will be funded. And then I wanted to add that um, in the criteria it lists as someone who's been incarcerated due to the war on drugs. I just needed to know if it's specifically incarcerated in San Francisco or anywhere, Louisiana, wherever. Um, and then as far as um, the education portion of the report, by me being the lead on that, I want to make sure that we articulate that nonprofits that receive any RFP money for reparations, that it clearly states that that's what they'll use that money for. And also, I wanted to make clear that the school district and school board, when it comes to our ask through reparations, that the board of supervisor has no authority over them and can't tell them to do anything. So um, we often see money go to the school district from the city to save them and that we get funds earmarked for specific disparities in education when it comes to black people. And then lastly, I wanna get us rolling on the budget issue I don't feel it was sufficient to have someone come in and say the struggle is real when it comes to budget. And now we all got to go to uh, advocate for 
funding from the city for reparations when we were never told that. So now that that's what we got to do, um, we need more advice on how that's done, what dates we need to be where. And also we've been asking for a long time for financial consultants on budget because none of us are that I know of are accountants and can um, even come up with the numbers for our recommendations. So I hope that we can get more budget and more money of how much this all will cost in the budget. And other than that, that is it. Thank you. Thank you, Member Barry. Uh, Vice Chair Hollins. Thank you, Chair. Um, thank you to Brittany and Jewel um, for the presentation, all of your work. Um, really appreciate uh, how you all were able to quantify everything. Um, two things. One is, um, Member Barry, the point that you raised about making sure that we are San Francisco specific, being that the systems are so broad and people will come through them in all kinds of different ways. I think that's important. So the two recommendations that I was uplifting in the eligibility criteria, one around being impacted by the war on drugs, maybe we can add to that that uh, individual have been um, uh, gone through the system in San Francisco, the criminal legal system in San Francisco and or had a San Francisco address. There has to be something tying them to San Francisco, not someone who came through San Francisco and may have committed a crime or been um, convicted of a crime in San Francisco, but that they actually are from here. The second one, um, who I'm sorry, um, I've been trying to work through some language here and I didn't think that it would have me this emotional, but um, we have to make sure that we have an eligibility criteria that speaks to how the government systematically targeted and broke apart our families. And so I want to make sure that we have something in there that speaks specifically um, to black individuals and families that were fragmented by the child welfare system. Um, so we can, and I'll put some language in the chat, but um, I'm thinking that an individual whose family unit was fragmented by temporary or permanent removal through the child welfare system in San Francisco, or who was placed into custody in San Francisco. So whether they were placed in custody in San Francisco or out of custody, we can also talk about, I want to make sure that family members grandmothers, aunties, uncles, people who also had to assume the responsibility of caring for children and families who were put into the system um, are able to meet that eligibility requirement if they're in San Francisco as well. So I will drop that language in, but that is another eligibility requirement that I'd like to see added. Thank you. Thank you. Member Ekinem. So uh, thank you so much, Chair, and thank you, Vi Vice Chair uh, and Member Barrett for your comments. Uh, for, for me, I just wanted to also to just thank Brittany and, and Joelle for, for this work. It, it's just incredible. Thank you so much for it. Uh, I think under the eligibility requirements, I think some of the languaging still needs to be sort of tightened up. Um, for example, the first one, if I'm envisioning this going on for a very long time, right? And I could totally see someone wanting to change their birth certificate or whatever else or, or whatever the public document is to say black for 10 years, right? in order to sort of get through this. Because again, the way I think about it, right, this is gonna be going on for, for a very long time. So we just need to, to do something like around that. Um, in addition, we have um, requirements for everything else, but the one thing we don't have a requirement for is around healthcare, right? 
or the lack of healthcare that we have gotten or any healthcare sort of related issues. So not that I have any specific language, but I think that that, you know, we have economic, we have education, um, et cetera. I, I think something around healthcare, not having healthcare, not being able to access it. We had someone, I think, in a previous meeting, just give a heartbreaking testimony to uh, infant mortality um, within the Black community. Um, and so taking a look at something like that as a measure um, here, I, I think would be really important. Um, and then lastly, just wanted to sort of speak to uh, the recommendation of the Economic Empowerment Subcommittee, just to be really clear. We said 5 million initially, we mean that, that is in this report. We also said, and this goes for all the recommendations, that this is an ongoing. If we had 250 years to get us to this point, then this needs to sort of extend for 250 years into the future. So that's the framework that we're sort of working towards. So even on a yearly basis now within the economic empowerment recommendations, and just reiterate, because there was some confusion about this, on our side, what we're saying is that needs to be tied to um, area median income for every Black person who qualifies, okay? So just want to make sure that that's on the table. People are really clear about that. That's in the report. Um, Joelle and Brittany have done a really great, great job at um, sort of uplifting the language even more, um, and, and I really do appreciate that. So thank you so much, Chair. Thank you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, Member Irving. Thank you. Um, again, deep appreciation to uh, the HRC staff and all of your work. I did get a chance to just kind of scan through and I definitely see that you left everything in there and um, I appreciate the condensed list for the eligibility requirements. I wanted to just echo two different comments from our public and I'm sorry, I, I can't see the names right now, but one of the sisters said that when we talk about um, public documents that we are specific. So I wanted to echo that just to make sure that we add that as a consideration, what those specific documents are. And then there was another comment earlier on that talked about including language, not in the eligibility, but in the plan itself that um, uh, funding would continue. It's in the Q and A, funding would continue as long as the harm is perpetuated or something like that. And so I wanted to um, uplift that again and ask that we put that language out for consideration of this body. Thank you. Thank you, Member Irving. Are there other comments or questions, <clears throat> excuse me, from members? Okay, seeing and hearing none, um, let me just offer a couple of comments brief, I promise. I'm hungry, dinner's waiting for me. <laughs> um, one, again, echoing the thanks. Um, the community as well as the committee has brought a lot into a space and the team, um, excuse me, the staff team, um, Joelle, Brittany, um, Zach, um, stepping in near most recently have done a, a fantastic job of synthesizing, both creating a narrative that could then support and, and make context, set context rather, for the recommendations, <clears throat> excuse me, as we have them. And so really appreciate that. Um, I echo um, in particular the 
last comment that member Irving noted from community around the perpetuation, if you will, of um, redress as long as harm persists. Um, and so to want to think about ways to, of incorporating that. And then lastly, wanted to, um, uh, I guess, offer my continuing point of view because it, it hasn't shifted since our beginning, and um, which is that um, the centuries of harm should be met with centuries of repair. Um, and so all of the ways we can kind of inculcate that and, and, and embed that into the very DNA of not just this report, but the final report, um, which in my mind includes not only the <clears throat> content and substance of the report as it stands today, but that we also um, include the, <clears throat> the identification establishment of the entity or entities that hold this work going forward, um, that there is a perpetual set, set of funding streams, et cetera, all the things we've talked about. So I just want to affirm all of that um, directionally. Um, so uh, just, just in closing out this item then, want to remind everyone, including members of the community who are still with us this evening, and thank you for um, hanging with us, as they say. Um, please get comments, um, suggested edits, et cetera, uh, into staff. Um, Someone tell me the email address again. sfreparations at sfgov.org. Awesome. Thank you so much. And Secretary Meyer, if you'll put that in the, in the chat just one more time so that everyone sees it again, um, please get your recommendations, comments, et cetera, into staff um, by next Monday, the 19th, <clears throat> so that there's opportunity to make, um, we will review um and get the final version of the draft plan to um the the powers that be board of supervisors mayor's office and the human rights commission we will also update everyone as we have clarity um on timing date etc this will be in the new year but timing dates etc around presentations before said bodies um, <clears throat> and then look to do the work that we've already talked about in terms of advocacy. So with that, we will close this item. Please call the next item. Item number seven is resolution urging the San Francisco Board of Supervisors to accept the draft San Francisco reparations plan discussion and possible action item. The San Francisco African-American Reparations Advisory Committee will review and affirm the resolution urging the San Francisco Board of Supervisors to accept the draft San Francisco Reparations Plan in compliance with Ordinance Number 259-20, presentation by Brittany Chiquata, Director of the Economic Justice Division, San Francisco Human Rights Commission, Joelle Stewart, Manager, Economic Justice Division, San Francisco Human Rights Commission. There will be public comment and committee discussion on this item. Thank you so much. Uh, Director Tequada, returning it to you. Thank you. Um, if my colleague could pull up the draft resolution. And so um, this is really just a pro forma item for you all to consider voting on this evening, which is a resolution that is required in the legislation that created this advisory committee to um, forward on to the clerk of the board of supervisors, 
so that they may schedule a time in the new year where this body can appear in committee to discuss the draft reparations plan. And so um, that is, you know, simply what this resolution is calling for. We would submit it to the clerk of the board. And um, then, you know, Kathy Mokimeyer would follow up to schedule a date when this item would appear at the Board of Supervisors. And the way that the legislation is written that created the um, Reparations Advisory Committee states that the Board of Supervisors must give, um, must vote on the San Francisco draft reparations plan in order for it to move forward. So they have to either accept it, decline it, or send it back to this body for feedback. And that is initiated through this resolution. Thank you. Thank you. And just please correct me if I'm wrong about what I'm getting ready to, to say. Um, but to kind of zoom in on the intention here so that, that everyone, committee and community understand, we want to ensure that the board takes some action, that this doesn't become um, candidly another report that gets acknowledged but goes nowhere. Um, and, and so this is in, uh, in, in the direction of trying to ensure that some action, even if it means sending it back to us, is taken. Um, so thank you for considering this. So with that. Yeah, it's just a, it's a formal recognition yes. of, of the draft report. Thank you. Thank you very much for lifting that up. Um, so we will go to public comment on this item and come back then to committee for any questions, discussion, and subsequently a vote. Um, as we go to public comment, members of community, uh, again, wanna invite you to share your public comment specifically as it relates to the resolution. I know there are many other issues kind of circling around um, the report, et cetera. Um, in this moment or window of public comment, um, we need to ask you to keep it focused on the resolution as presented. Uh, and we'd be happy to hear from you. Please, public comment at this time. If you would like to comment on the resolution, please use the raise hand icon. Public comment is three minutes on this item. Jatan Carey. Welcome. I'd like to say really quickly, I support this resolution, but my only ask would be that committee and those who worked on the reparations work in accordance with already existing advocacy around the drink keepers work through the mayor's office and human rights commission so that we aren't zeroing out our efforts. And I don't know if that makes sense, but what I, when I'm reading the report, I see some, some aspects of drink keepers listed there along with the ask of the reparations committee. And I want us just to really be cautious and intentional about our advocacy so that we don't cancel both out. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other comments about the draft resolution? Please use the raise hand icon or Q&A feature. And again, this is just about the resolution as required by the ordinance. Um, Virginia Marshall, welcome. Here we go. Uh, thank you so much. Um, I support the resolution. I suppose I must have missed a meeting 
that we this resolution must go to the board of supervisors and for their approval and then might come back to the committee and all that so that's an extra step that i didn't realize i thought the money was already had, had already been set aside but this is another song and dance we have to do as a community so i just hope that we all stay focused and go there together and let us know when to come so we can come by in large numbers uh, to be there in, in person as well as virtually. So again, thank you so much for the work. Are there any other members of the public would like to comment on the draft resolution? LaDonna Williams. Yes, good evening again. I just wanted to say we, I fully support what you all are putting forth um, with this draft. And thank you so much for your commitment and dedication and hard work um, with, the, with this draft. Thank you. Are there any other members of the public would like to comment on the resolution? Okay, Chair, I do not see any other members of the public who would like to comment on the resolution at this time. Thank you so much. Seeing none, public comment is closed. Um, and so we will come back to the committee. I would entertain a motion to um, adopt the resolution as presented. I move, Mr. Chairman, that we adopt the resolution as presented. Thank you. Is there a second? Thank you, Reverend. Second. Thank you, Member Ekonem. Um uh, Secretary Meyer, would you please uh, do a roll call vote, please? Thank you, Chair. I will announce committee members and names, and they will announce if they support the resolution. Um, Member Taylor. Member Hollins. Aye. Chair McDonald. Aye. Uh, member Dr. Reverend Brown. Aye. Member Hamilton. Member Cunningham. Member Barry. Member Landry? Yes. Member Carter? Aye. Member Brown? Aye. Member Ekenham? Absolutely. Member Williams? Aye. Member O'Kane? Member Irving? Yes. Member, member Taylor is, is, is available now. Yes. Oh, yes. Member okay. The uh, motion has carried. The resolution is accepted. Excellent. Thank you all very much. Let's call the next item. Item number eight is announcements. This is when committee members and members of the public may offer announcements for upcoming events or other items relevant to the community. And again, this is just for announcing upcoming events. There will be public comment on this item. Excellent. So again, to be clear, this is to announce upcoming events um, as we do um, at each of our meetings. So members of the committee. 
upcoming events that you'd like to announce? Okay. Seeing none. Reverend Brown, were you trying to raise your hand? Okay. Yes, please. Is this for announcements, Mr. Chairman? Yes, sir. Um, thank you, Mr. Chairman. I would like to announce that um, on the 19th at 5.30 at Third Baptist Church, our commission task force uh, advisory committee member, Brother Daniel Landry and I will be co-hosting a meeting at Third Baptist with the police department, Department of Public Works, Department on Homelessness, the faith community, Safeway stores, all the businesses up and down that Fillmore Carter. Why are we calling this meeting? So that we can have a gathering and meeting of the minds on what we must do to give our people an alternative to the despairing and dangerous conditions that exist there in that Safeway parking lot. People are doing fentanyl there. They're defecating there. Tents all around the place. That Safeway store, now we've learned, spends about 35% of its security budget on that one store in this town. Situation has gotten so bad that even the pastor over Glad Tidings Church, mm -hmm. that's not an African-American church, it's an interracial church, yes, but led by the Pentecostal community pastor. His wife says she refuses to go back into Safeway. And that's right there next to the Heritage Building. So we must, in a positive, balanced way, say that enough is enough and all hands are needed on deck so that even when we get some of these efforts to fruition, we will not permit our community to destroy what we will have worked for. That's on the 19th at 5.30 at Third Baptist Church. And all members of the task force are welcome to come and join us as we work, I repeat, to give our people alternatives to the despairing situations that are going on in that parking lot. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Reverend Brown. Director Davis. Oh, I just wanted to quickly say, and, and Kathy can share maybe in the, the chat. I know um, Chair McDonald and Brittany and I have been talking about different ways to leverage events that are coming up. So just wanted to share as a part of the MLK event, um, we have um, Emily King, Guapale, Tango, and um, the Glide Ensemble, and Minister Marvin White 
on January 12th to, no, January 13th to kick off MLK weekend and would love to follow up with the chair and vice chair about how to include the chair had mentioned. So just wanted to share that date. We for sure will be passing out the bags and any other collateral and material from reparations and probably the, <coughs> I just wanted to, to flag that date for folks. January 13th um, at the Herps Theater, um, music and celebration um, or at least recognition of the King holiday. Thank you, Director Davis. Member Irving. Thank you, Chair McDonald. Um, so as we know, or hopefully we know that San Francisco Unified School District is disproportionate in the number of African-American children they we um, identify for special education in the areas of other health impairment and emotionally disturbed, as well as the discipline rates. So we are in something called CSACE, Comprehensive Coordinated Early Intervening Services. Because of that disproportionality, we have convened a group and it's called the Educational Partners. And we need the voices of families and community to come out and to hear some of the strategies that are being uplifted to use $1.9 million to um, stop the over-representation of black children, the over-referrals for children who do not need to be in those categories. And so I have put the link in the chat, but I ask that the HRC makes it public. And the next upcoming meeting is January 9th. There was one tonight, but the second meeting will be January 9th and you'll see the list of the other dates. We absolutely need to make sure we're speaking up for black children um, in the Samson Unified School District. So please join. Excuse me. Thank you, Member Irving. Member Barry. Yes, thank you, Chair. Um, I wanted to double down on your announcement of the California state reparations on Wednesday and Thursday. It'll be located in Oakland at their city hall starting at 9 a.m. on both days. And that's where folks heard about the $200,000. That's a state um, recommendation. So we definitely need to show up to support the state as well. And also, um, that's not the state. Excuse me. I'm going to cut you off. That's not the state recommendation. We need no such recommendation. That's, that's false information. Got you. Thank you for that uh, breaking news. Um, I'm sorry to cut in, but, but I, I had to speak to that because this thing is taking on a life of its own. The task force has not even voted on such. That's somebody's speculation. That's important information. Thank you, Reverend. And also I wanted to add, um, the education committee will be doing a listening session with the black student unions, with the colleges and the high schools in February. And if anybody would like to be on that committee to uh, organize it as well, uh, members of the public are invited, please contact uh, Angelique at the Human Rights Commission and get my information so they could be on the committee so that the people we're um, affecting with education can have input on our final report. Thank you. Thank you. Any other members with announcements? Before I share just a couple additional. Okay, seeing no hands. Um, thank you. Member Landry for yours in the chat box, uh, reiterating what Reverend Brown has already shared about the meeting on the 19th and the Safeway parking lot and the surrounding area. 
on um, December 30th, just as an FYI, is the deadline um, for the Changing the Narratives art campaign. And this is an opportunity for artists and wannabe artists to submit graphic images or short videos depicting the positive relationships between Black and Asian seniors and families. There are prizes, um, first place $750, second and third place $350, $350 that is, um, fourth and fifth place $150, and there's an honorary mention. So I want to say that. Um, secondly, uh, on January 12th is a tentative date around which, and again, there'll be work to confirm um, to a question, Member Barry, that you raised earlier, when might we make a presentation to um, um, the Human Rights Commission? That's a possible tentative date. So just to say that out loud. Um, and then related to the MLK celebrations um, on the 21st, um, there's an invitation to join the HRC contingent for the NorCal um, MLK March, 11 a.m. Caltrain Station. Um, and then TBD, or TBD, excuse me, um, uh, Rules Committee, there will be, again, a date selected um, by them, not by us, uh, for a presentation to the Rules Committee. So um, more to come on that. Lastly, just a reminder, so I've already been put in the chat a, a couple of times and maybe even do it again, um, but uh, we're recruiting for the vacancy of seat number 15. And so we invite an individual who has <clears throat> lived or is currently living in public housing um, to apply. Uh, and just to restate what we said earlier, if you applied in the past, um, we're asking you to apply again. Um, so that we can complete this recruitment process and we welcome um, you to apply. So thank you. Um, okay. Uh, oh, Member Barry, please. Oh, that was no, your hand was mistakenly written. Okay. All right. Excellent. If, Reverend Brown, are you raising your hand? Yes, sir. Mr. Yes, sir. Members of the task force, um, we ought to give greater leadership. Dr. Davis has given this process and this enterprise. Now she has led the staff that we just commended in doing such an outstanding job. Thank you, sir. If we were a choir, we'd start singing, um, but we're not, uh, and so we won't. <laughs> um, but we absolutely appreciate um, Dr. Davis and her leadership. Um, leadership can be both lonely and isolating and not always celebrated. So we appreciate her leadership. Dr. Davis. No, I was gonna say, I, I, you know, if folks didn't get to hear you sing yesterday, I know that you, uh, it's on, YouTube from his sermon and his singing at Glide on um, on yesterday. So he sang twice, so you get to listen to him. Well, he's, you know, four times. You, you get to listen if you want to hear some singing. Thank you all. I told y'all the other day, he, this man can sing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Davis and and Reverend Brown. Meanwhile, back to regularly scheduled programming. Um, Thank you for the announcements. Let's go to public comment, please, uh, Madam Secretary. Um, 
I, I do see some members of the public who are ready to participate in public comment. And I just want to remind everyone that it is three minutes. You're provided three minutes. And um, welcome to Kenneth Johnson. Do you have any events or activities to share today or tonight? Could you unmute? No, I just wanted to ask if you could put that uh, eligibility list short back up. Thank you. Um, I do see Virginia Marshall now. Uh, thank you so much. I just want to um, thank the committee members and, uh, and, and just thank the public because it's coming Friday, uh, our school students at SFUSD will begin that winter break beginning Monday for two weeks. And there, I just want to applaud uh, the Dream People's Funding, Dr. Davis. And on Saturday, I just happened, I had planned to just drop in as I always do for just a moment at the Cultural Center, 762 Fulton Street and Ellie Hill Hutch. But I spent the whole day there at the Culture Center, the students had a train. They had all kinds of games of Ferris wheel. Of course, Santa at Ellie Hill Hutch, there was a black Santa and all kinds of engaging activities for our students. And this coming Thursday at the, um, at the um, in Baby Hunter Point, they were there. Uh, I always enjoyed when I worked at Havert to watch the little kids run down the hill with their gloves on going down to play at this play in the snow. And so I uh, so I, and I know that OMI will have some activities too. So I just want to thank all these CBOs who go that extra step for our children. Because many times if the, if the CBOs that I give children gifts, they may not get a, a Christmas gift or they may not get a hot meal. So these activities have, uh, we can tell there's Green Kippers Buddy um, uh, with these organizations because these uh, three, uh, two activities I saw on Saturday and one I'll see this coming Thursday have been stellar events for our students. So I want to thank you so much and happy Kwanzaa. Thank you. Now I would like to welcome Linda Parker Pennington. Thank you so much and uh, good evening, everyone. I, I just love listening to everyone. Thank you for your work. I, uh, just a couple of things. I wanted to say thank you on behalf of the San Francisco Black and Jewish Unity Coalition. Thank you for Chair McDonald showing up for our celebration yesterday. And um, as some of you may know, uh, uh, the Unity Coalition has been active in supporting the fight for reparations. And uh, we look forward to being your allies and the fight because it will take uh, more than just us um, to, to make this happen. And so the Black and Jewish Unity Coalition stands ready to do whatever it takes to make this stick and have teeth. And um, a couple of our members, Dee Seligman and Robert Reinhardt spoke earlier this evening. I wanna say thank you to them. And we had a big teach-in, Reverend Amos Brown was with us as well as Eric McDonald. And so I have heard uh, Eric McDonald sing. Um, and I, I as I told him, it was quite a shock to me to see him break into gospel, but- <laughs> 
that was fine. It was all good. So what I really wanted to say tonight, besides that, um, is, um, which is basically, you know, we have your back. So just tell us our marching orders, uh, is that from December 26th through January 1st is the 17th annual Kwanzaa celebration in San Francisco run by the remarkable Adrian Williams of the Village Project. And so um, I have been going to this for probably 14 years <laughs> out of the 17 years. Um, and the kickoff is December 26th in City Hall. I put the link in the chat for that. It's every event is free. Sometimes there's three or four events per day. So you can keep yourself pretty busy that week. Uh, and so if you can just come to even one of them, uh, it is a remarkable education, a great time, uh, often great food, great celebration, open to everyone. So with that, I am complete. Thank you for your work. I really appreciate all that you're doing. Thank you. And now I'd like to welcome member of the public, McNeely. Hello, everyone. Um, I am a wearable art artist here in San Francisco, born and raised here. Um, I am of Friedman and Samoan descent. I have a wearable arts fashion show that is about envisioning us in the future of San Francisco. Um, it is going to be in February. Well, for your nearest keep in mind that you can you leave all carry-on belongings should there be an emergency evacuation. If there's a loss of cabin pressure, um, option. Um, can I continue? Yes, please continue, apologies. Okay, no worries. Um, yes, yeah, so, it is, I'm trying to make it an annual event. It will be February 24th, Bayview Opera House. It is a free event. Again, February 24th, I have already booked the date. I am a wearable art artist um, specializing in metal, metal and textile art. Um, and I really encourage members of the reparations committee to come. Some of the members have were there last year for my fashion show. Um, and I would love to see anyone, members of the public, come. It's an event again, February 20th next year for Black History, Black Features Month at the Baby Opera House. I have an event I would like to announce that. No, I, um, I saw your hand. I was wondering if it was actually <laughs> up on purpose. So I, I yeah. apologize. Yes, please. No, that, that's all right. Um, the Dreamkeeper Initiative in honor of Black History Month is hosting an all-day Dreaming Futures event on February 9th. Uh, so I'll send all of you calendar invitations at least to hold the date. Um, but we are welcoming everybody who's watching and everybody who is, of course, on the Reparations Advisory Committee to um, actively participate in that event. Awesome. Oh, and, and now I actually do see a member of the public has raised okay. their hand. <laughs> and through the chair, I do think that that is that event, they'll be reaching out to you all or to the Reparations Advisory Committee to participate in one of the panels or the breakouts. And so that's okay. 
February 9th. Excellent. Thank you. I'm sorry, okay. Secretary. Who was who was remaining? Alyssa Jones Garner. Okay. Hi, um, thank you. Um, I just wanted to announce there is an event, um, a workshop at the San Francisco Public Library. It's a virtual event, and it's regarding San Francisco genealogy. Um, since many people in the in the community have expressed interest in delving into their genealogy and especially for this process, but even for your own edification, it's really important to know where we come from because it will determine where we're going, whether we know our history or not. The workshop is Wednesday. It's this Wednesday, the 14th from one to three. You can register at the sfpl.org website and I believe it will, it will be held virtually as well. And the librarians will go through their expansive records. Um, also, as I put in the Q&A, if you have a library card, um, and not just San Francisco library card, but a library card for any city or county, you have access to many free benefits, including printing services, scanning document documents. If you have any accessibility needs, you have all all of that, all all access to that for free, um, and also a free account with Ancestry.com available to you through the public library. That is a benefit that um, was established many years ago, but very few people take advantage of. Um, so I, I really just want to make sure that everybody was aware of that and to utilize these resources while we still have access to them. Thank you. Are there any other members of the public who would like to participate in public comment at this time? Uh, do you want to have an event to share? Um, please use the raise hand icon or Q&A feature. Okay, I don't see any members of the public who have events to share at this time. Thank you so much. Seeing non-public comment is closed. Um, let's call um, the second to last item on our agenda tonight, please. Okay, uh, item nine is adoption of the October 12, 2020, November 7, 2022, and November 14, 2022 meeting recording and transcription. This is a discussion and possible action item review and the anticipated um, adoption of the video recording of the African-Americans Reparation Advisory Committee's October 12, 2022, November 7, 2022, and November 14, 2022 meetings. There will be public comment and committee comment. And I can uh, post links in the chat to our SFGov website. Excellent, thank you. So members of Public, we're going to come to you for public comment on this item. And again, the item is to approve the meeting transcripts for three meetings, October 12th, November 7th, and November 14th. And then we'll return to committee for um, discussion and vote, possible vote. Let's go to public comment, please. I was muted. Are there any other members of the public who would like to comment on the video recordings and transcriptions of the previous meetings, please use the raise hand icon or Q&A feature. 
I do not see any members of the public who'd like to comment on that at this time, Chair. Thank you, seeing none, public comment. Oh, has been one person, oh, wait, oh, one sorry. person just raised their hand. Oh. Um, public member McNeely. Hello again. Um, so this is just so the public can have trans transcripts of um, uh, past meetings. Am I correct? No, ma'am. This is uh, there are transcripts made available for each meeting, and so this okay. is approving the transcripts from prior meetings. Oh, okay. Never mind. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Are there any other members of the public who would like to comment? Okay, Chair, I do not see any other members of the public who'd like to Seeing comment on this. We will close public comment again. Thank you so much. Uh, committee members, I can entertain a motion, please, to accept the November 14th um, transcription. Can we do them all at once or do we have to do them separately? We did it again. We can do them all at once. Fantastic. So, members, I would entertain a motion to approve the October 12th, November 7th, and November 14th recording and transcriptions. So move. Second. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. For the motion and second, uh, is there any objection to approval? Hearing none, then by unanimous consent, um, trans recordings and transcriptions are approved. With that, we are now at adjournment. Um, uh, just before I entertain a vote, I just want to acknowledge and thank again members of community uh, who show up consistently and uh, hang with us for these sometimes long meetings. We appreciate you, appreciate your thought partnership in this effort. And again, to um, our HRC amazing staff team of supports, um, both in the work offline but and also the work online when we are in meetings. And then lastly, to each of my colleagues on the committee. Thank you so much for um, your continued thoughtful leadership. Is there a motion to adjourn? A motion to adjourn. Fantastic, thank you, Vice Chair Hall. Is there a second? Second. Second, thank you, Member Carter and Member Brown. I'm assuming everybody seconds that one. Um, if there's no objection by acclamation, we will adjourn tonight's meeting. Thank you all so much for your time and attention. Everyone have a fabulous evening. Happy holidays, y'all. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.